Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. It's a Tuesday. It's the drivehubler.com studios. It's at the fan midday show. That's Jimmy Cook. I'm Will Haskett. They said, oh, yeah, bring a golf announcer in to help out with this program during the summer. Let's see if that'll work. (laughs) Nothing to talk about. No one wants to listen to golf. Um, Wow. The the sports world is blowing up today. And if you are here in Indianapolis or listening wherever you might be, or you're one of the fine folks participating in, I'm sure, a lively discussion on YouTube right now, uh, if you haven't heard the story, Isaiah Rogers is, been on games. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I had like I had a great tagline, or just like a one liner to open the show with today. Allegedly, I tw- I texted you guys last night. I was like, oh, remember when I said we should sign Marcus Peters yesterday? Well, you know, maybe it'd be a good idea to go. Did sign you Marcus have intel? Peters. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> no, not as much intel as Jake apparently had. Uh, but thankfully, we don't have to lead with the discussion about gambling in the NFL because. Well, I mean, Phil Mickelson's gambled a lot in his life, and he gambled on Live Golf, and apparently that gamble's going to pay off. The news that broke this morning, um, I found out about it via a friend of the show, mutual friend of ours, Scott Agnes, who just like just texted me and said, hey, what's going on with this? Can you believe g- golf? I was just doing something. No, no one could believe it. No one saw it coming. The PGA Tour announced that they are combining forces with not only the DP World Tour, but also Live Golf and really more importantly, the PIF, which is the Public Investment Fund of Saudi Arabia. They are all going into business together, signing an agreement that combines PIF's golf-related commercial businesses and rights, including Live Golf, with the commercial businesses and rights of the PGA Tour and DP World Tour into a new collectively owned for-profit entity to ensure that all stakeholders benefit from a model that delivers maximum excitement and competition among the game's best players. I typically spend most of my time broadcasting golf um, on Sirius XM PGA Tour radio all the time. We may be branded as... Sirius XM, whatever this new thing is going to be. More P-I- letters coming your way. PIF, LIV, DP, PGA Tour radio. Here Rewrite the, the ads couple now. Of years. Who knows? Uh, we're all reacting to this in a vacuum of very little information outside of a press release and now a leaked memo from the commissioner of the PGA Tour, Jay Monahan, to the his players and it's difficult to sort of work through a lot of this information, but I don't necessarily know if this is the forum or necessarily the audience that wants to get into a three-hour nuanced conversation about the new world order of professional golf. We're not going to do that. We will talk about this story throughout the course of the day. Uh, Carl Paulson, a colleague of mine, is uh, going to try and join us here at the bottom of the hour. He played on the PGA Tour for several years and now has the 10 to noon show on uh, Sirius XM. Gary Williams, formerly of Golf Channel, now of Sirius XM PGA Tour Radio and Five Clubs. We'll join us at 1.30. So we're going to have some good golf guests from a national standpoint to talk through this. But we do want to talk about some other sports today here in Indianapolis. But, Jimmy, I don't really know. If this was a golf-centric show, I could just I could do this for the next three hours. 
I don't know if this is, do you want to ask me questions? Do we want to get into sort of, okay, let's just do that. Like you just fire away questions that you think the average sports consumer would want to know about what happened this morning with this now three-headed merger into a, and I I want to emphasize this, a for-profit entity. And because let me just put two caveats out there. The PGA Tour is different than the PGA of America. The PGA Championship that took place two weeks ago is not the PGA Tour. The PGA Tour branched off from the PGA of America several, several years ago. That was in the 70s uh, when the players wanted to have a little bit more autonomy and influence in this. So this is the PGA Tour did that. And the other thing I just wanted to make clear is that they are a nonprofit entity. The PGA Tour is a nonprofit entity in terms of how they structure all of their tournaments, which are independently owned and operated and into that structure. So to have now a separate for-profit entity that's going to sort of be an umbrella over the PGA Tour's nonprofit entity and however the DP World Tour is structured and Live Golf I just want to throw those couple of tiny caveats out there. Uh, the floor is yours. You can ask some questions. Okay. So first thing off the bat, from my non, like I'll, I'll dress myself like I do before every major. I am the golf fan that follows along with highlights and clips during non-majors, and then I'm locked in for the majors. That is my golf fandom. I think for the casual golf viewer, that is probably the boat that you were in. When I see everything that's been happening with Liv the last couple of years... And is this just a fly that's being idly swatted at by the PGA? Are they really threatened by it or not? My thought was if they're going to cannibalize one another, eventually a merger or one purchasing the other is likely to happen at some point in time. Are you surprised that it happened today? I am surprised it happened today. I think that I think both entities were recognizing that they were in an an untenable relationship and an unsustainable business model for two different ways. The PGA Tour, in its response to Live Golf, had to create drastically overnight a completely different structure in which to operate. And so this past week at the Memorial Tournament, Jack Nicklaus's famed event, uh, that is now what is called a designated event. The purse was just swelled to $20 million. The PGA Tour is going to its title sponsors and saying, hey, you need to help us bridge this gap. Like, take an old $8 million purse and more than double it. Like, come to the table with tens of millions of dollars to help us fund this. I think that was becoming a very difficult ask to go to a lot of sponsors to be able to do. Not to mention the fact that they were restructuring how these tournaments were going to look moving forward, including that tournament and several others becoming next year no-cut events. We don't know if that means that if today's announcement changes the structure of PGA Tour events moving forward, that's a question to be answered later. Um, But when you look at the PGA Tour and what they were trying to do, I think it was very obvious that they could not compete with the money. If it was strictly just a dollars for dollars, we need to pump as much money into our tournaments and into our players' pockets as possible to keep our stars from defecting to live golf. It was obvious from the beginning, and I think it probably became more obvious as there were more conversations happening with sponsors, that it was impossible to compete with the public investment fund of Saudi Arabia, which just on its interest alone annually is churning off billions and billions of dollars. On the other side of it, I don't think that Live Golf's traction was anything to celebrate. The abrasiveness from its leader, Greg Norman, who we should note is nowhere to be found in any of the press releases today or anything like that. So Norman, as the CEO of Live Golf, appears, at least in the stuff that we've seen today, to be maybe on the outs. 
of this whole situation. There was so much combativeness because of his checkered history and everything with the with the PGA Tour. Many of their events were kind of comical and how they were put off. They, they felt different, but there was a different vibe. There wasn't a lot of competitive juice. They had a tremendous event in Australia. So there were certainly markets that were out there. Chicago had a good event last year. There are certainly places where you can go to starved areas of the world or country and put on a really good tournament, but they really lacked juice, like significantly lacked juice. Nobody was watching on TV. Their stream numbers were diminishing or at least plateauing. I think Live Golf, and again, these are decent businessmen in terms of intelligence in Saudi Arabia that are running this fund also looked at and was like, look, we wanted to have a legitimate golf something here. And we don't really know if it's legitimate. And so there you have it. So you have the PGA tour who says we can't play in this sandbox because we don't have the money and live being like, we are really frustrated with the lack of legitimacy that we are getting in our efforts to create a golf tour. And by both of them coming together apparently very secretly, they each solve that problem. So if I'm going to approach this, like I try to do everything in my life from a glass half full standpoint, because I'm on the record, I was anti-live and not for many of the politicized reasons, which are very worthy to be discussed. But I thought that that sort of took away from just the sports conversation of it all. While I have always been very publicly anti-live, if I'm looking at this from just a structure of golf standpoint, from a golf fan standpoint, this should allow more of a transient nature between tours so that perhaps last weekend Brooks Kepka could have played at the Memorial after being a PGA champion. Uh, perhaps there will be an easier or quicker pathway to live for star players. And we don't know what the structure of their tournaments is going to look like moving forward next year. Uh, I do think the team element is going to stay a part of it. I don't think the team element had sold so far, but we'll see how that business model plays out. That's a little bit too far in the weeds. I think from a golf fan standpoint today, this is shocking but it is better if you just want to see the best players in big events, no matter what the tour is, because it ends all of the, um, they said in the release, it ends all of the court cases. They have dropped all yeah. litigation against one another. So they have kumbaya and come together in all of this. And so there will be a very quick pathway, you would think, to all these players playing back. So again, I'm sorry, these are going to be long answers because this is a complicated question. But the reason why they came together, I think both sides realized that they were on a pathway to failure, no matter how long that was going to be. It was really hurting and damaging the sport, which is absolutely 100% true. The only reason to watch golf, professional golf, unless you're a diehard like me, was the four majors. And I understand that that may be the case for most people who are listening right now. But every now and then you could have a tournament with a really special story because you brought a massive field together. And both of these groups recognized they didn't get the best. They didn't get all of the best players. They were splintered in half. And this is the only way to sort of move forward and maybe find a way where they all play together a little bit more often and they can now profit share together. And to be clear, if there is a, and I'm sure there's a lot of people like this, to your point about those storylines, if it's a non-major, but it's a Sunday and we're here in the middle of the summer in the heart of the tour schedule and there's a great storyline, yeah, I'm going to flip it on because not just like, to, oh, I'm going to put my feet up and take a nap, but I'm, I want the good action. I want the good storyline. Golf does that for me. It doesn't do it for everybody. When you look at where both these sides are right now, I believe the press release, correct me if I'm wrong, stated that live golf events will still take place through this season. Nothing changes in 2023. For 2024... We have no idea. But would the assumption be, I know we're just guessing, would the assumption be that it is live golfers and PGA Tour golfers in harmony on a, a synchronized event schedule? Yeah. This is 
this idea, the concept of live golf has been floating around for years. Depending on who you talk to, you can say even 10 years ago, there was a, a businessman in London with a little bit of backing from Saudi Arabian money who wanted to start the Premier Golf League that actually had a ton of traction four years ago. And players were involved and agents were involved and there were conversations. And the concept was this, that there would be a for-profit Super Tour. Think of it as the Champions League of soccer. Sure. So you would have Barclays. these guys that would play their normal tour schedules, but at the end of that season, or maybe even throughout the season, the elite players would then also be playing in this tournament structure with teams and just massive boatloads worth of money to pay these guys, and then they trickle back to whatever tournaments they want to play the rest of the year. So this idea isn't foreign. So maybe... What it does for 2024 is allows this partnership to have that sort of structure to where the best players who, who are on live, who want to play in Phoenix or want to play at Pebble Beach or want to play at Memorial or want or you know, maybe a couple of Canadian players who want to play this week at the Canadian Open, but have big enough brands that they could go to live and create a team on live golf, have the opportunity to do both. Because let's be honest, Live Golf was a 14-event schedule, and if those guys were in the four majors, it's 18 tournaments. Most elite golfers are playing 22 to 24 events a year. So there was still room for Dustin Johnson or Brooks Koepka. All those guys said, we want to play less golf and make more money. Yeah, I mean, that's true to a point. But then they got into it, and they had months off, and they were kind of bored and stir-crazy. It's like, I really would like to be playing with the boys right now out on the tour. This, I think, provides that pathway back. There are just a million unanswered questions that it will take probably a while to trickle out of how robust is Liv's schedule. And again, all of these guys were locked into three, four, five-year contracts. Do a lot of those get kind of ripped up or grandfathered out to where now you can have a little bit more of a flow? Because if this truly is a partnership, then even some of the guys that have been you know, walking the hard line, a Rory McIlroy, a John Rahm, you know, now they can go play. And you would expect them to probably, or at least you definitely know their agents would want them to go play in these live events and start making more money now that apparently it's kumbaya together. Are you saying this season? No, next season, next 2024. Season. Okay. Um, and again, we have, there is no PGA Tour schedule yet for 2024. There was still a lot to be discussed about where the designated events were going to fall. They had come out with a plan of, you know, two designated events and then three non and two on and how they were going to go in. And there was already being some pushback from players about how that was going to be. So this now adds a completely different wrinkle into how scheduling looks for next year. I don't think it's going to have as drastic of an impact as the partnership would lend it to believe, but there's a lot of now moving pieces that get thrown together. that This thing's going to have to get ironed out. Is the thought that PGA tour events that prize money sees an increase because of Saudi injected money? I don't think so. I think what happens is, is this for-profit entity finds a way to get money to the best players. It maybe helps to bump up some purses in some ways. And the reason why I'm so pro PGA Tour is I like the I like the everyman story. I like guys who are coming up, grinders, maybe even you know collegiate studs who took four or five years to matriculate and find their way. There are great tournaments. Like we talked even yesterday about tournaments on the PGA Tour. Like I love the John Deere Classic in the Quad Cities. It's a it's the number one fundraiser for that in, entire area. They never get a great field, but it's been a springboard for so many incredible stories, like Jordan Spieth's first win and all these things. There's a place for tournaments that maybe don't have the biggest fields. So the tour has to keep some of its roots to its core of the how they've been structured in years past. So d can the for-profit thing help to 
uplift some of these nonprofit sides of these actual tournaments? I guess yes. Um, there's so many other angles too. There's so many developmental tours. There are charitable initiatives, grow the game initiatives, uh, minority golf initiatives that the PGA Tour is invested in. And somewhere deep down in the press release today, there was mention of that, that this for-profit entity is going to be used as a greater um, service of good, which is awesome because Live Golf was was not doing anything to market any charity that it was doing. There was a little bit of money being given, but it was it paled in comparison, <clears throat> excuse me, to the size of the purses. Sure compared to a PGA Tour event. The amount of money the PGA Tour raises for charity compared to what it's paying its players, that percentage is significantly higher than what Live Golf was doing. And so now together, you, I guess you're going to see a little bit more money being put into areas where money is needed. You mentioned the in practice by this merger, at least from the two competing companies, beefs being squashed to some extent. Mm. But when it comes to the players... Mm those that defected and took the money and ran Mm. and those that did it and touted the PGA company Mm. line. How does that get resolved? It's going to be, it's ugly. There's a players meeting today at four o'clock. I'm assuming it's up in Canada because that's where the tour is this week. So anybody that's on site there can go to it. Uh, I'm assuming the commissioner is flying in for that. And then I believe we're supposed to hear from the commissioner afterwards. Yeah. If you are, it's not necessarily Rory. I think Rory had, the greater interest in the game but if you're there's a number of big players that were on the fence and they didn't jump and maybe they'll still be able to go and make massive amounts of money in this new structure but yeah at least in this little two-year window of here's a hundred million dollars to take a vacation and play a little golf and and have fun yeah it, that's gonna sting because and, they say but, in the statement that it's going to be a complicated endeavor, one that will be guided by established PGA Tours rules and regulations to bring back live golfers that were looking yes. for reinstatement. There may that's, be a that's fine. That's a fancy way of saying that, welcome back, right. here's a fine. They're going to be well. there. And again, some of the players who left went out with zero animosity. And right. some of them, even with their tails between their legs a little bit, like, look, I just can't turn down this money, even though I know I'm going to play in an inferior product. And for those guys who have maintained great relationships back and forth, there's no problem, no animosity. But there are a lot of people who completely mudsling their way right out the door. And... I don't think that this merger validates Phil Mickelson's claim that he was being denied his market value by the PGA Tour. Money always wins. Mm -hmm. We are in an accelerated moment in sports history, not just in golf, but in soccer, Mm -hmm. in college athletics, in a number of places where obscene amounts of money that really don't fit market value are being thrown about just for the sake of of power of of um of agent driven world of of control because they can because they can yeah it's boys with toys mm-hmm. and no different than a conversation we had maybe last week about NFL ownership and sort of the monopoly that that is in terms of you know controlling salary caps and these guys being able to make whatever they want to make spend the money in terms of ownership yep. that's right yep it is still boys with toys, and this is a this is the biggest boy on the block right now with the PIF, and that flex I don't think necessarily pointed out significant flaws with the business model that the PGA Tour had, but it certainly empowered those who felt like they weren't compensated effectively to make more money than I think most of them are probably worth, but 
in this particular case, the market is set. Um, I'm going to fast track this here. Eddie, our next guest has to come on a little bit earlier. So we're going to go to break really fast. We're going to talk with Carl Paulson. He played on the PGA Tour, part of my family at Sirius XM PGA Tour Radio next. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. It's the Fan Midday Show here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. I'm Will Haskett. He's Jimmy Cook. This is such an appropriate song. Many did take the money and run. They're going to be running right on back, apparently, to the PGA Tour. Uh, to help me sort this out, this is more group therapy than anything else. Is my friend and colleague from SiriusXM PGA Tour Radio was a card-holding member of the PGA Tour for several years as well. Uh, Carl Paulson joins me. Hi, buddy. How are you, Will? Dude, you tell me. You were on the air with your show this morning. I'm getting texts from people. I have no idea what's going on. Uh, we woke up in a different day, it feels like, six hours ago. Yeah, there's no question about it. Um, you know that little game that we've been seeing on social media where people fill their mouths up with water and then slap each other in the face? <laughs> yeah. Tortilla? yeah, yeah. my That's kids do that all the time, yeah. It's sort of what this whole thing feels like. <laughs> it, it does feel like that. And I guess, look, I knew I was coming in here today. We were literally going to talk about a Colts player being investigated for gambling and mock drafts for the Pacers for three hours. And it's like, okay, well, I guess this is a massive sports story. Uh, I'm going to, you've been talking about it from inside the weeds for the last two hours. If. I've got an audience here that is probably already tuning us out because now we're on to a second segment talking about golf, but this is a massive sports story. So if you had to sort of contextualize why this story that we cover day in and day out is so big from a sports fan standpoint, how would you answer that? Uh, Boy, that's a good question. Uh, It it, it does feel like a massive story. There's no question about that. Like, it it is going to be leading the headlines today in all of the sports talk radio and sports talk television, in my opinion. Um, Look, ultimately, this is a deal about uh, about money uh, and getting, um, you know, golf unified again. but there's so many details still to come out, Will, that it's hard to yeah. even fathom what's going on. Yeah. Carl, is there a will there when will there be a clear understanding of where Greg Norman lands in all of this? Because at least on the surface, it feels like PIF left him at the door and has, you know, gone to the altar here with the PGA tour. Yeah, um, that's a great question. Uh, found out a few moments ago that Greg found out about this uh, not too <laughs> real close to the announcement of when we all found out about it, which is a bad sign for, for Greg Norman. Um, I, I don't have any insight on what's going to happen with him in terms of him being the CEO of Live Golf, uh, but it sure does seem like with the you know the press releases that were out, uh, all the stuff on CNBC, 
uh, uh, the interviews that they've had. With his name not being mentioned hardly at all, if at all, that's not a good sign uh, for Greg. Carl, you've always been really good in this entire process since all the live stuff started two plus years ago about taking a wait and see sort of approach. Um, that's going to be what we're going to have to do, especially since this is a breaking news type of day and it's irresponsible for any of us to speculate forward or think about what even 2024 is going to look like. But now that we're halfway through 2023 covering professional golf, given what it has looked like and felt like, I'm trying to go glass half full here today. It's like, well, at least this is a step, albeit it may feel very dirty to some. It may feel extremely hypocritical to many. I understand all of that. But given the golf that we've covered and watched this year is at least today for the common golf fan a positive in some light? I don't think there's any doubt about it. Yeah. Um you know, I miss I miss watching Brooks Kepka play golf week in and week out. I miss watching DJ play golf week in and week out. Um, you know, there's other players that, that I wish that we could watch week in and week out. And, 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 you know, moving forward, that could be a possibility now. Uh, I don't have any idea what the landscape is going to look like in terms of keeping team golf in this. Um, which they said they are going to do. I saw that in the memo. Yeah. I was listening to you coming in, which is, I mean, I know that's the the fundamental model of live golf is this idea of team golf, which has been a really hard thing, I think, to sell at this point in time, but they're committed to it, at least it sounds like. It seems like it, and it's going to be interesting to see how that whole thing plays out, but there's just so much for them to get to. And look, they don't have any answers right now because they don't have any idea either. So all they did, you know, they come together and say, you know what, enough is enough. We're going to form an alliance. We're going to start a for-profit LLC. Uh, it's going to be funded by uh, the PIF, and uh, we're going to move forward and make this game bigger and better than ever. Look, I think in the long run, I, the golf fan wins. There's no question about it. I think the players win. Um, I think that uh, you know the, the tour is going to have a big infusion of money coming into it now it, with this new entity that they're creating. Uh, you know, it, it's just going to be a matter of personal preference of, like you said, some people are going to feel like it's dirty. And, and, and I get that. Look, I, I don't have, I, you know, I, I don't have any qualms about people being upset about these guys going to live. I also don't have any problem with in, individually with any of the guys that did it, but I do understand, you know, people that, uh, you know, that were affected by 9-11 and other things that have happened throughout the world. Um, I, I do understand the concern and I understand uh, kind of both sides of it. I tried to stay pretty much in the middle and, and see what happens, but this is definitely massive, massive news. Carl, how difficult of a gap is it going to be for those that took the money and ran to live versus those that stayed and, and, and were loyal to the PGA. I know there's going to be players meetings that are going to take place, but how difficult is mending fences on the players side going to be? That's a great question. Um, that's the first thing I told my wife about it when it happened in the commercial break. And she said, Oh my gosh, what about the people that got offered contracts to go to live and didn't take it because they wanted to be a part of the PGA tour and they wanted to support the PGA tour. You know, we're talking, quarter of a billion dollars for for Rory McIlroy, you know. Uh, there was uh, reports out there that Tiger was offered $750 million. You know, there's there's other guys, Will Zalatoris, that 
said he was offered $100 million. That, that's kind of hard to swallow that the guys took the money, and then now it looks like they're going to be right back in the swing of things. I don't know if there'll be any rectification of that for the players that had opportunities to go and decided not to, to support the tour. I don't know if, if, uh, if they're going to try to figure something out for those guys or not, but if I'm Will Zalatoris, I'm certainly not uh, – I might have some animosity, you know. I, I don't know. I, I wasn't offered a contract, so I, I can't tell you from that side of things. Um, but it, it certainly is interesting. Zero disrespect to you coming from this question, Carl, but if this had come about 25 years ago, I'm not sure you're, you're getting the $100 million offer from Live Golf. You're sitting at the Canadian Open, and this news breaks. You're in a player-only meeting today. What would be your first question if you're a you know top 100 player on the PGA Tour? Oh gosh, there's so many. Um, <laughs> I mean, I could, I don't know if I can narrow it down to one. Will, to be perfectly honest with you, I, it, there's just so many unanswered questions right now. I, you know, look, I think the in the long run, or at least in in, in the short run, I should say, um, the news of the of them coming together in, into an agreement is is the main news. Now, that's just a as they're saying, framework of the agreement, uh, getting from where we are right now with the announcement uh, that this is going to happen to it being implemented in onto paper and, and into uh, an LLC, a for-profit LLC entity, uh, there's a lot of work to be done. And there's a lot of questions to be asked, and there's a lot of stuff that's, that's going to go, uh, you know, it's going to take a while to to get through. And I certainly don't think it's going to happen in the next month or so. I, I think it's going to take a long time. I don't know what that schedule is going to look like. You know, are they just going to play in the fall uh, when the rest of the PGA Tour is playing for their spot uh, for next year's uh, money list or you know, FedEx yeah. Cup points list? Uh, how all that's going to go down? Um, I, I think my first question as a player would be, how in the hell did we not know about this? No one knew. Nobody. Nobody. It's wild. It's absolutely yeah. wild. I know you're up against it. You're going to keep doing this uh, car wash all day long. Um, I'm going to talk about other sports, I think, a little bit so I can ignore my phone and not talk about this for at least the next <laughs> couple of hours. Uh, I appreciate you. Thanks so much. Uh, enjoy uh, the craziness that is now June the 6th, 2023. You got it. I, I, I would say circle the day on the calendar because uh, golf is going to change moving forward. And, you know, Maybe potentially we double our audience. So we double the amount of people that that uh, that are in the game. Who knows? It, it, that's hopefully uh, what will happen. Hey, I got dibs on the first feature group from Jetta. Okay. Okay. Right. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> see, see, thanks, buddy. That's Carl right. Paulson from SiriusXM PGA Tour Radio. Um, we can get back into anything you want to talk about here, Jimmy, about this since we went a little bit early on that one. But yeah, and and again, to reiterate this sort of the craziness of all of this is that you have three organizations that came together and created this idea and then announced it today. And there isn't a single PGA tour player so far that's been like, Oh yeah, I kind of knew. And to hear that, you know, the, the man who is overseeing live golf in Greg Norman didn't really find out until most of the rest of us found out on social media. It's incredible in this day and age that something this monumental and large can get to the finish line without 
any sort of leak or at least a little bit of smoke that something is coming down. But yeah, it's a Yasir al Rumanian is now going to be the head, the chairman of this merged for profit entity that combines Live Golf DP World Tour and the PGA Tour. So he, along with PGA Tour Commissioner Jay Monahan, I think is whatever the right hand man of that. Um, unbelievable. It's it's just it's unbelievable that it happened so quickly and without a single whisper of of it. And so if we, I mean, you can continue peppering me with questions about what this means, or we can also just sort of talk broad picture because this is a, a crazy couple of years in sport where this massive, massive influction of cash, post-pandemic, I might add. Like, think about all of the NIL legislation that comes at a time when, you know, universities are struggling to, like, figure out how to pay for everything, like, what's going to happen with enrollment and online sort of teaching, and like, ooh, boom, all of a sudden, if we want to thrive as an athletic department, we've got to figure out a way to to start effectively paying our players in that in the biggest sort of space mm-hmm. you've got money there you've got money all over the world you've got you know an, another elite soccer player is about to get paid hundreds of millions of dollars to go and play in the saudi arabian f- football league and i need to see pen to paper on that one first but you don't think looking- benzema's gonna take that is oh ben- that i thought you're talking about Messi because oh, he's yeah, tied no. to potentially no, benzema's gone, gone yeah, right? yeah yeah benzema's already yeah yep yeah. So, I mean, and so Here's now here it is. Now you have the PIF is literally going to be not in ownership of, but in a massive, massive collaboration with all of professional golf at the highest level in the men's game. Whether you want to say that PIF broke the following sports or changed them in a beneficial way is a conversation we could have for Ever. the entirety of the show. There's no right. There's no right or wrong answer to that. But I have a larger question to it for the common fan that maybe just sees the headlines and is very confused by all this. Hit me with it. They've taken over soccer. They've taken over golf to some extent and made massive ramifications to how things are viewed within those sports. Is the fact that it's so tough to purchase a team in America what protects how tough baseball. is it? i mean you, you just have to how get tough a, is it you just have to get approved by the like board of there owners was, and that feels harder than at least to the to the public it feels like it's a difficult process to maybe it's very easy one of the one of the competing bids for the commanders was heavily funded by middle eastern money now i think that fact in and of itself eliminated it from possibility correct but the nfl are they above board of that, or is it one the day NFL coming the NFL? The NFL is above board because there are just enough billionaires left who want to play in that big boy club. Now, when it comes to Major League Baseball, that's what I'm talking. Or when it I, comes to, I mean, the NHL, if there was foreign investment money that thought that there could be a broader profitability, and again, one of the big things that probably made this deal today in professional golf happen is that Live Golf is probably going to lose somewhere in the neighborhood of $500 million this year. That's just kind of reports that are out there. Their books aren't exactly open to the public, but just based off of some superior reporting that's out there between the contracts they've guaranteed to these players, the infrastructure that is there, really the lack of any foreseeable revenue outside of meager ticket sales and i guess maybe some concessions like they are just hemorrhaging money without any legitimacy and these look 
these people aren't just in the business of throwing away money. Like right. they want to see a return on their investment. They're not buying into English soccer clubs because they just want to have a toy that they're going to wreck and then throw in the trash heap. No, they want it to make money sure. for them. It's an investment tool. So if they could find a pathway where they thought the NHL had broader marketing potential or money-making potential, I think the NBA certainly... I mean, you could break baseball. Like, there's no salary cap in baseball. If a PIF group, like, I don't know what the return, again, that matters to yeah. them, to be clear, but depending on what the return on investment was, if they, just for the sake of argument, bought the athletics, moved them to Vegas, and with no salary cap against them, you could break Absolutely. the sport. Like, we talk about already the Yankees, the Dodgers, the Red Sox being the highest payrolls more often than not year over year. Right. They'd blow it out of the water. But Major League Baseball, I mean, look at all the the Bally RSN issues that are going on. Like, where is the where's the massive influx of cash? It's not the same that makes that gives you the ROI or correct. It's not close or or the NFL. Right. I mean, all of these new frontiers of streaming platforms that are willing to fork out billions just to have one game on a Thursday or one playoff game streamed. I mean, it's 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 laughable yeah. how high those broadcast negotiations have gone. But in this situation, it's really weird. And now you're saying, well, Will, like, what? Do you, why, why golf? Why legitimize golf? And golf is interesting because it's still an individual sport. Like their concept in Live was to create these four person teams, and then those teams became their own brands, and those brands then had investors, and you bought into it very similar to a professional, professional soccer yeah. league sort of franchise-based system, the jury is still very much out if that is a viable option because of the transient nature of talent in golf and the marketability of individuals versus the idea of marketability of team because they weren't really playing team golf. It's not like any of the – only their final event actually did you ever have guys together as partners like you would have in the Ryder Cup, which is obviously a huge selling team golf competition. Yeah, that's that's the biggest one is why the reason why golf is because golf is a rich man's sport. It's one of the biggest things that holds the sport back from expanding into the mainstream. But it's also one of the biggest things that keeps it relevant is that you will always have high end car companies, investment funds, insurance companies, um, healthcare companies, all of these like very lucrative companies stable corporations willing to invest from an advertising standpoint in your product because they are targeting that older rich demographic that is in golf and so somewhere the pif decided that that was a place where they wanted to play that was a playground where they felt like they could make an impact where i also think it gives them influence in other areas golf has been used in many different ways to help broker a lot of corporate moves and to legitimize a lot of businesses and relationships out there. And so I think that this is this further legitimizes that, but they certainly see a model. They certainly see a way to utilize to to profit off of individual golfers while also helping those golfers profit more than they ever had before. Is there enough space with this new entity in terms of participants for Isaiah Rogers to make a career switch? Again you you, you <laughs> You killed my tease. I had like a good tease set up for about four minutes from now when we were actually going to throw it a break. You know what? We can still do it. We're going to throw it a break right now. We, we talking about $25 after this? $25, Isaiah? 
Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Hell of a Tuesday here inside the drivehubler.com studio with Jimmy Cook. I'm Will Haskett. We have somehow spent 45 minutes talking about golf. It's like my dream come true that we would turn this into a golf show and for all of the wrong reasons as this business merger becomes official. So we can now finally transition into the news of the day, which kind of like broke right as we got off the air yesterday jake was on with jmv and sort of hinted at it and the next thing you know all of the articles are sort of floating out there i'm gonna f- completely butcher the attribution of who had it absolutely first i saw holders Stephen holders tweet but he was also trying to um give who was the first person with the story so i apologize for not getting through the journalistic attribution here perfectly but obviously by now most people have heard that the nfl is investigating indianapolis colts cornerback slash kick returner isaiah rogers for i mean possible violations of lee i mean could we even say possible violations the way that he has already mea culpa and come out and yeah, apologize for his statement um reported that there was upwards of 100 bets placed through an account that was under an associate or friend's name but it was rogers that was making the placement of those bets last year there may have been a a couple of low four-figure bets but for the most part the bets range from 25 to 50 dollars and that many of them were on games in which the colts were playing jimmy i know when you saw the news last night you were ready to have some some fun with this um i'm i'm willing to let you have the fun and uh i'll sit over here on my soapbox here in a second whenever you're done okay first off a couple of things because this is what is going to happen with this it's going to be used as a tool against gambling and i want to make one thing and one thing clear myself eddie we make bets we place bets we have a good time we're not using this as a second source of income at least i'm not I'm doing it because I like to have action on games. And if we make a little bit of cash on a on a bet sure. or two where I can go, you know, sure. I don't know, buy a new pair of shoes or new video game or buy something for the so, house. So why did I front you that awesome. five grand the other day when you said you were in a... <laughs> I'm just kidding. So I want to get out in front of that right now in terms of my gambling perspective. I am not a high roller by any means. I'm not one of those people that's placing mattress max style money on the Super Bowl or any of that stuff. That being said... I don't have a problem with gambling being infused in sports. I I never have. I don't see a pathway where I ever will. All that said, what are we doing, players? Legitimately, where does the awareness not click in that this is not a thing to be doing? Forget about the fact that if you followed sports at all in the last 50 years, you know about the air markers of gambling and and the Pete Rose drama in baseball and what it does to a player's legacy across the board. That should be enough in my mind for any player to be like, you know what? Even before gambling was legalized for the ease of doing it from your phone, 
yeah, I probably shouldn't be doing this as a professional athlete while I'm playing. Shouldn't be doing it. And I could even buy in and stomach the fact that, okay, you're betting on college wagers or whatever you're betting on on a team facility. Okay, like that's a weird one. But sure, league doesn't want it anywhere near their facilities. A bit hypocritical when you're thinking about putting sports books in stadiums. But hey, highly, whatever. highly hypocritical. What are you going to yeah. do? In no way, shape or form can you be betting on the sport you are playing in and you absolutely cannot be betting on the sport that you're playing in when it involves the team that you play for after the way Calvin Ridley rightfully so was sword. drugged through the yep. mud a year ago yep. and got a year's suspension uh-huh. and correct me if I'm wrong on this he wasn't betting on the Falcons he was betting on the NFL at large the idea that this is still not gotten into the heads of the players. I don't know if it's a failure on the proper HR rooms that be or advisory boards that be within these teams, Mm. but it's an abject failure across the board in the league. And the one tinfoil hat I'm willing to buy into right now because of this now hitting home is Isaiah Rogers could be the tip of the iceberg. All it takes is one real superstar to be messed up with this to where it changes everything. And selfishly, it probably ruins everything for the common gambler that just wants to have a little bit of fun and place a wager on whatever the sport of the day may be. It's really interesting to watch these stories break about players being suspended for gambling in this environment that is so cavalier now towards sports wagering. And again, this is like any debate that we have, whether it's on sport or broader in society. Two things can be true, and we don't have to sit there and argue that one is right and one is wrong. And what Jimmy was saying is absolutely true. Like, there's plenty of hypocrisy in how much money is being spent and taken in terms of advertising, sports wagering sort of saved the media market in sports post-pandemic when a lot of companies didn't know what they wanted to spend on. And do you remember those first few months coming out of the pandemic when sports started up again? 90% of the ad load was sports books. Do you it, know how many watch parties and bets we placed on UFC events where I knew oh, maybe two things about? Yeah, it was insane. It's unbelievable. And it's all... It's now been legitimized in so many places because the tax revenue was so needed and again, I'm in the same boat as you. Like, I like placing $5 wagers, $10 wagers. I like, I deposit $100 into a DraftKings account and, like, let's see how many years I can stretch out of this $100. Not trying to turn into a 10000 just how long. Like, if I can keep this money in here for 10 months, that is far better money spent on entertainment than a lot of places where I literally would have just been giving somebody the $100. Like, it was just entertainment to me, right? understanding fully that there are a lot of people that have problems with it, all this stuff, but we can have, it's okay to be upset with the rule. It's okay to be upset with the kind of silliness that Isaiah Rogers might lose his season, if not significantly damage his entire career over a couple of bets that amount to one or 2% of his annual salary. And at the same time, we can recognize the fact that he was fully aware that he wasn't supposed to do it, that there are rules in place, and he broke the rules. Now, not to turn this back into a golf conversation, 
but we're having the whole live golf thing today. And the last couple of months prior to the big news today was all of these live golfers complaining and whining about how they weren't getting world golf ranking points. They weren't qualifying for majors. It appears after today, we're probably gonna have a pretty quick resolution as to how those guys moving forward are gonna be able to do that. But they were operating in a space where any new tour has to wait at least two years before they're approved to do this. And all these guys complained and the rule was right there. It was written right in front of them. And I heard Kevin Bowen saying it earlier today to transition back to Isaiah Rogers. They have it posted in the facility, like in big, bold letters, like do not do this. So we can sit here and I'm sure there are tons of people that are like, this is BS. Like Rogers shouldn't be penalized. A lot of these guys should be penalized. It's hypocritical. You're absolutely right on how you feel about the situation, but it doesn't change the fact that the rule exists and he violated it. I'm willing to hear out the, this is BS, this shouldn't happen. I'm, I was willing to hear it out for Ridley's case because, again, I could be wrong on this. I don't think it was Falcons yeah, your own team is, you're absolutely, your own team you, is. You cross an entirely different line don't disagree. when it's your own team. I don't care if it's win or loss. That could be the difference of there's so many props. He could have – this didn't happen, right? Because they say 25 to $50 range, potentially at least one low four-figure bet from Stephen Holder's story on ESPN.com. But in theory, you could bet – uh, you find Isaiah Rogers. His friend could have done this over or under uh, half an interception. Let's say it's like minus three fifty yeah. to not get a pick all game, and Isaiah Rogers could have a clear interception. Oh, he bobbled it. He dropped it because that's what the wager was. Again, I'm not saying this is what happened here, but that's a line you absolutely cannot cross. It's no longer silly Massive for me. Integrity issues. It is. No, there is a certain thing when you join professional sports. Now you agree not to do if you don't want to make very good money in a sport that, quite frankly, none of us have a shot of being able to touch the amount of money you're ever going to make, there are certain things that you cannot do. Gambling is one of them. And while I agree it's silly for a college basketball wagers on site or college football wagers on site or betting on the Jaguars when you're not playing them, okay, maybe that's all silly. When you enter the realm of your own team, yeah, that's a great, you know, that's, that's a fantastic point, and that's a differentiator in all of this. I, I was more referring to the broader sure, conversation of we are now in this. We're going to discover more and more and more and more and more players that are gambling. And again, that word was like a, star, a scarlet G on the chest of any athlete 30 years mm-hmm. ago. Now you say, oh, sports gambling. You're like, oh, yeah, I do that. Like, I mean, my seven-year-old sat in this chair here yesterday and like laughingly picked games for a, a sketch that we're doing here because it's so part of the consciousness that like I'm at home like, hey, go A's tonight, you know, because we've got a dollar on the A's tonight. By the way, they blew a 3 nothing lead, which we'll get to later on in the show. Pete but. Rose placed the first wager at one of the sports books yeah. in Cincinnati on January 1st. Hell yeah, he did. And I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm thrilled for it, by the way, to be clear. Like, that's awesome. But like that, that's how much things have changed. Totally changed. And again... I don't know. I don't. I haven't taken the temperature necessarily of the entire fan base of people who are going to be. I don't know how many pro Isaiah Rogers fans there are out there. And you make the great differentiating point of you're wrong. When you by dis- the way, not you. When Those you discover people. that it's on your own team, that's a completely different line too, which could also mean. I mean, look at some of the suspensions from other guys around the league who weren't betting on their own teams. And you're talking about if you bet on the NFL, it's a year. If you're betting around other sports, it's you know, six games or three. I mean. I heard Kevin earlier today. It's like if you're the Colts, I mean, just just do everybody a favor, and I mean, he he gone. Yeah, I mean, like he gone. His, this season's over. It was he a contract gone. year for him anyway. Yeah, it's over. He gone. So to your point, 
you're absolutely right. Like that's a different line that he has sort of been crossed. But I, so I don't know how many people there are out there that are, would be like in favor of arbitration or something or whatever uh, mediation and it doesn't trying to help these things out. Either. But it's like they are. If we don't, rules are in place for a reason until they are changed. Sure. Until and if we can't follow the rules, then there has to be consequences. And this is going to not only violate one rule, it's going to violate probably the biggest rule of all the rules in this subset of rules when it comes to gambling. And it's too bad because there wasn't a, he wasn't gambling enough money to really get a whole lot of juice out of it either, right? right. I mean, if, if it was a gambling problem, you know, if it was he's laying $25,000 on games or something like that, then you'd be like, oh, man, the guy's got a, a real gambling problem. This is like you just couldn't avoid – this is like – you have a substance abuse problem and instead of like falling off the deep end it's just like you know what i'll just like like a tiny little sip like a tiny little whatever like it's not even that's a terrible analogy and i apologize to anybody <laughs> out there with it but you know what i'm saying it's like right I go to it's not even like, if you're gonna just tumble over the line like somersault and cartwheel it's like you're trying to when you get a technical foul you feel like you didn't earn yes isaiah rogers did not earn this technical foul those are the waiters that were placed yeah, it's like he broke the rule without like jumping in the deep wh- end like you'd expect somebody would. Hoping that like it was going to be a soft break of the. I don't know. It's it's sad, um, and now the Colts are a little bit thinner at a certain position. All right, that so ends our first hour of super happy conversations. We'll try and uh, turn things around. We'll get into the NBA a little bit coming up. Ryan Rucco going to join us coming up next. Life is full of things to manage: your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta. Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Welcome back to the Fan Midday Show with Jimmy Cook. I'm Will Askett coming to you from the DriveHubler.com studios. Full first hour with the massive news in my universe of the golf world uh, singing Kumbaya and all coming together with massive dollar signs in their eyes as they hop together down this road of holding hands and skipping into a unified world of professional golf and then we finished the last segment with isaiah rogers and his probably never wearing a colts uniform again sort of situation so we avoided uh, talking about hoop for an entire hour because of the economics of how the sports world works right now which is you know kind of depressing in some ways shapes and it's forms. criminal in this state depending on which county you're in, not talking about basketball for an entire hour. I just so let's let change that. that right now. You know him from a variety of ESPN platforms, the NBA and also the WNBA, and we'll work some baseball chatter in as well. Joining us from, I'm assuming New York, is Ryan Rucco. Ryan, are you in New York right now? I just crossed the border into Connecticut, but but for all in, <laughs> intentions and purposes, yes, I am in New York. <laughs> uh 
NBA Finals, we've been talking a lot about it here in Indianapolis because you look at you know the marquee names, the marquee draws, and then you just see two teams that just go out and have assembled things the right way, that play hard, that sort of give, in my kind of argument, a middle, small market type of team a little bit more hope. What have you enjoyed the most about this matchup so far? I think what you're talking about, I think you know the fact that there's continuity – that there's hunger, that there wasn't a, you know, quick, easy bake to this roster, mm. that in a lot of ways, the last couple of postseasons have humbled the way we construct narratives around NBA contenders. You know, like I think we've seen you have to be, you have to have a roster full of guys who are true two-way players or at least display two-way competency. At this time of the year, you cannot have guys on the floor for extended periods of time who are not able to hold their own on the defensive end of the floor, who are not able to be some kind of offensive threat. Then I think the other thing we have to appreciate is continuity and realizing that that, too, is a huge part of having success at this juncture for an NBA team. And it takes time to build that continuity. And no, look no further than Phoenix. You know, Phoenix had more top-end star talent than anybody but they looked completely disjointed, right? And they were taken down by Denver, who looked like the much better basketball team uh, in that series, even though Phoenix was able to push it to six games. And so I, I think that for me, what's encouraging about that is, to your point, it shows that who's going to win and lose is not just at the whim of a superstar wanting to change location in a summer, right? Because it takes much more than that. And I think it's going to be even clearer that that has to be the case moving forward when you think about the upcoming restrictions in the new CBA and how much harder it's going to be to put, you know, a few stars together. Like, you are really going to have to build that roster um, with a lot more depth and continuity and creativity than just, hey, we're going to get our three stars and then we'll fill in the pieces as we go. You know, that worked for a while, uh, but part of the reason it worked is because LeBron James was involved. And LeBron is, you know, a top two all-time NBA player. We have seen over the last couple of years it's taken more than just, uh, you know, trying to super microwave a team with some top-end stars. Ryan, there's always been chatter amongst the CBA since that LeBron Big Three era and every all the moves that followed, whether it was the Warriors, whether it was him in Cleveland or him in L.A., of would there be a, rec- a reckoning for the way teams are able to build? You mentioned that, that that's coming in the form of the CBA. How soon out of the gate will teams feel that squeeze? I mean, it seems like they're going to feel it pretty quickly. Like the Warriors' tax bill could be unbelievable right out of the gates. Um, so, you know, whether or not, you know, some teams may still say like, Hey, we're willing to pay that bill because either a, they're still making so much money that they're willing to, or B they know their franchise value uh, goes up, you know, astronomically when they are a championship contender and thus the tax bill is worth it to them, even if they're losing money in the interim. So it depends on the ownership group. Um, you know, maybe the Warriors are going to be the exception that says, like, hey, we're willing to pay a $200 million tax bill on an annual basis. Uh, you know, at some point that feels unsustainable. There could be a, an exception. But I think in the way teams think about building their rosters and the kind of moves they make and, 
and you know what contracts they value, what draft picks they value, I think you're going to feel it right away. Does that shift then, Ryan, in terms of, you know, I view it like from an NFL standpoint, we reached a point where it felt like NFL draft picks were, especially high ones, were so much more untouchable because of what it meant to roster construction. And from an NBA salary cap standpoint, especially in, say, this market in Indiana, where we're trying to figure out how they're going to give away some of their five picks because they don't have roster space for a bunch of projects. But at the same point in time, it's, you know, are we are we pricing veterans out to a point where draft picks become more valuable in a new economic reality not necessarily because those draft picks depending on where they're selected and and what they've done in their first few years you know that that first extension they get can be really hefty i mean that that first extension can be very pricey so um you know there was a long period of time where you know you there's several veterans on more affordable contracts you would have been better off with than say Andrew Wiggins first rookie extension right or even you could say that about a guy like Carl Anthony Towns not to pick on Minnesota but like those are a couple examples of guys who like did you want to be paying them 30 35 40 million dollars a year or is there a veteran out there who you can get for 10 that that maybe fits a little bit better you know uh, so I think that in in some ways it's it, it makes the draft picks more valuable in those sort of like middle rounds, finding guys who are, who are really good, but maybe not going to demand the biggest contracts. You know, I mean, guys like Mikel Bridges, right. Who aren't, you know, at the tippy top of the draft and then sign, you know, extensions that are affordable. Like if you look at Mikel Bridges contract, you know, he has, I think it was five years, $90 million. That's one of the best deals in the NBA now. Um, and so I think finding those spots uh, becomes even more important. And then maybe where you feel it more on the draft front is being able to develop those draft assets into contributing players more quickly. You know, being able to have a second or a third-year guy be a real contributing role player on a title-contending team – while they're on that rookie contract and before they're up for that next deal. Ryan Rucco with us, play-by-play voice for ESPN, covering the NBA and the WNBA, as well as with Yes Network and host of the R2C2 podcast with CeCe Sabathia. Nice enough to take some time with us here on the Fan Midday Show. Ryan, when we go back to the NBA Finals for a second, and Eric Spolster is not listening, so we don't have to worry about our untrained (laughs) eyes with this comment, but is it as simple with Miami as, all right, if they are able to play the defense they played all series long and they're able to go north of 48, 45% from three, maybe this is where the series shifts outside of that happening for them, which has been the key to their run throughout. Denver's probably going to regain control of this thing as the series moves on. You know, it's interesting because obviously we all look at the Nuggets and and you know the fluidity with which they play basketball and the dominance they've shown in this postseason and the the depth of talent they have, and we say, well, that team is clearly the better team. But we said the same thing about Milwaukee. We said the same thing about Boston. And Miami found a way to beat both those teams. And so I think that what we're seeing with Miami is an actual tangible impact of belief and of competitive nature and coaching 
and drive and hunger. And then, yes, of course, they have some, some really strong talent as well. But because of it, I feel leery to predict anything with great confidence. Like, I, I picked the Nuggets to win this series in seven, which I was giving Miami, I think, more credit than a lot of people. I didn't understand the people who were looking at the series saying, like, oh, Denver's going to sweep them. It's going to be a quick series. After what we just saw Miami do to teams who had better records than Denver in the regular season. And I know the Milwaukee series got a little weird because of Giannis's injury, but even when Giannis came back, Miami was still able to handle business. Um, and I, I just, I feel like they, what they do is they don't overreact to things. They just make necessary adjustments. And that's where Eric Spolster is brilliant, right? You know, they knew, okay, little adjustments. They wanted to turn Jokic into more of a scorer than a shooter. As it turned out, that was a fruitful strategy despite the efficiency with which Jokic scored, right? But they knew, hey, we need to keep getting the shots that we got in game one. This time our guys are going to hit it. And they did. And so I look at, I look at Miami and I say, yeah, if they don't shoot well, if they shoot like they did in game one, in five of seven games, then they're probably not going to win, right? But if they shoot close to what they did in game two from three, their defense is probably going to be good enough that these are going to be really tight games they have a shot to win. And as we've seen all postseason long, when they are in late clutch situations, they usually emerge victorious. So I think it is very much a toss-up series. I give Denver the slight edge because they have the best player. They have the best one-two combo. Their duo is more reliable than Bam is with Jimmy and because they have a little bit more talent. But I am not in any way counting out Miami. And, you know, what we tend to do is, like, people saw the way game one unfold, and they said, oh, it's going to end up being a sweep. And then you see the way game two is and say, oh, Miami's going to win the series. And it's like, well, if you pick the teams to have anything other than a sweep, then at some point they're going to lose games in the series, right? So the way I look at this right now is I still look at it as a seven-game series with Denver, the home team, winning it. But I I will not be surprised by anything that happens these next two games in Miami. Uh, I think no matter what, we're headed for a long series. Ryan, you're building a championship roster, and you can pick any player off of the Heat team with the exception of Jimmy Butler. Is it easy to say Adebayo is the next guy, or is there somebody else that you've seen in this postseason? No, if you're building a roster, you're going to take Bam. It is easy to, to pick. He's so good defensively. He's an incredible worker. He's got a great attitude, fantastic culture guy. And he still is a productive offensive player. He's just not as reliable and consistent on that end as you typically want from a star. Um, but if I'm building a roster, I'm absolutely uh, taking Bam. And I think we also have to look at the results, too, for as much as this time of year allows us to hone in on players' strengths and warts more than other times of year, and, and certainly those warts for Bam can be amplified. He also has had a lot of success this time of year. Like, this is now, what, the third straight postseason that – He's gone on a deep run, at, or three or four postseasons that he's gone on a deep run as the second best player on the Heat. Like that's saying something, you know. That's not happening unless he's impacting winning in a big way. Ryan, the Pacers are hoping that this off season is a transformative one for them in that they're not a lottery team anymore, and perhaps in a perfect world, they are 
sniffing a play-in spot, ideally maybe even a playoff spot if they were able to have a quick enough turnaround. When you look at what happened with Miami in the East, and I've asked this to a number of different people, but I want to get your perspective on it because you're in the New York market. Brooklyn faces this. New York faces this. It feels like in the middle of the pack, there could be perceived to be an opportunity to seize power in the Eastern Conference in terms of top to bottom with how much change has gone on throughout the conference so far this offseason. Is there a window of opportunity here for teams that were on the outside looking in last year to make serious strides? Or do you expect everything to stabilize from the top down, your Boston, your Milwaukee's of the world this offseason as things go post-finals? No, I mean, first of all, I think that, you know, there's a chance that we have unforeseen uh, player movement with any of those teams, right? Like, we don't know for sure that Boston's definitely running it back. We think they probably will because it's hard to get talent in your building like a Jalen Brown. But if they decide, hey, we don't want two $60 million a year players, maybe they go a different direction, and we don't know what that opens up there, right? Uh, in Milwaukee, same thing. They have a couple key decisions to make with Brooke Lopez and Chris Middleton, depending on what happens there. Well, what does Giannis think about that? Uh, in Philadelphia, you know, if James Harden leaves, is there any chance that Joel Embiid says, like, you know what, I don't see my path here. I want out. You know, so I, I think that – and then, of course, there's also just that nobody there has won at this time of year with consistency, right? It's not – we're not talking about any team that has become the Warriors or that was LeBron's Cavs. We're talking about teams that have kind of taken turns being the best team in the East. In the case of Philadelphia, they haven't quite gotten over the hum. But, you know, I would have thought Milwaukee 100% was going to the finals this year. And they lost in the first round. So uh, I think that anything is on the table. Because one thing we don't account for enough is improvement. You know, what happened with Sacramento this year? Like, yeah, they they lost in the first round, but they played an incredibly competitive seven-game series. You know, part of the reason, and I know Sacramento's (laughs) an interesting team to bring up when we're talking in Indiana about Indiana, but... Part of the reason Sacramento took the leap that they took is because of internal improvement, because we saw huge leaps from De'Aaron Fox, huge leaps from DeMontis Sabonis, right? You guys saw it with Tyrese Halliburton last year. You know, those leaps often do eventually translate into leaps in wins. You know, what happens with Matherin this upcoming season, right? And so I, I wouldn't rule out anything because nobody in the East is untouchable. So if you hit on a free agent or two, or you draft the right guy or two, or more importantly, the guys who have talent, who have proved NBA worthy, develop a little bit more inside your building, then yeah, there's no telling what that leap could be. Is that going to be a championship next year for a team like the Pacers? Well, of course not. But could it be a team that, you know, finishes fifth or sixth and, you know, makes a run to a, a late first round, you know, the sixth, seventh game in the first round, or or potentially somehow finds a way to the second round. Like, that may seem a little far-fetched, but it's not impossible. Speaking with Ryan Rucco, you know him from ESPN, Yes Network, and everywhere you get your 
best sports. Uh, I want to transition to WNBA, Ryan, because I think it's a good segue when you talk about talent development here in Indianapolis. Obviously, the fever have sort of loaded up with great talent over the last couple of years, a couple of losses over the last week, but they've been significantly more competitive. And I guess my broader sort of question when you're trying to build and we talk about patience when you have a 30-team league or a 32-team league, but in this situation, in the WNBA, we've seen how many top draft picks that haven't made it to year two. Mm -hmm. Where's the development I guess, timeline or patience from what you've seen from the WNBA standpoint, because it feels harder. It feels it's significantly harder to me if you're putting together a championship contender in the WNBA, because it's like, well, next year I'm going to bring in a couple of more pieces and I don't have anywhere to put them. And it's not like we have a, a G league team to be able to help sort of help out with all of this. It, it feels like it's a really difficult time right now for a league that I think is on the cusp of something really special. Yeah, it's hard to develop those players who maybe wouldn't get a ton of run early but turn into winning, contributing players, right? Right. right. So just to use one of my broadcast colleagues as an example, when J.J. Reddick got to the Magic, he wasn't a rotation player right away. It took him a while to carve out consistent minutes in the NBA, and he worked his tail off to become – a regular rotation player and then starter on contending teams, right? But in the WNBA, he may not have ever had that chance because of the roster crunch you're talking about. Maybe they're just like, oh, J.J. isn't ready to be the you know 10th player on the team right now. We got to get rid of him. And, and he never really gets that chance. So that is you know one of the harrowing parts of putting together a roster if you're a general manager in the WNBA. Having said that, the true transcendent talent is always going to get their playing time. And I think, you know, one of the things that we've seen in recent drafts is you haven't necessarily had that. And so, you know, maybe Aaliyah can turn into that. We'll see. Um, She certainly is someone who I think we've seen a lot of good with, and I'm happy for her to be in the professional game because I think it's going to really help her after she was – you know, still finding ways to be effective while getting triple teamed in her senior year at South Carolina. Uh, But I I think that, you know, we've also had drafts in the WNBA where you see some of those players who are, who could be contributing players, but aren't transcendent players. And we're about to, I think, have some serious difference makers uh, enter the WNBA over the next couple of drafts. Caitlin Clark is going to be, an all-star right away in the WNBA. Um, I think that Angel Reese will be a serious force and all-star caliber player right away in the WNBA. I think Paige Beckers, Cameron Brink, maybe Brink takes a little bit longer, but like those are talents where you could potentially build your roster around them. And, and, and there's some others coming as well. Uh, Cody McMahon for Ohio State is going to be a serious game changer. She's only a freshman this past year, but right away when she comes in. So when we get some of those players coming into the W, I think those are the players who you look at and you say, oh, okay, I can actually hitch a championship team to them. Um, and Indiana, unfortunately, you know, maybe with the exception of this year, has been towards the top of some drafts where I think you have some good contributing players, yeah. but maybe not that like transcendent talent. 
uh, with the exception of Aaliyah, um, and seeing what she can do. But um, but if you know, but if they're bad enough this year, maybe they'll be there next <laughs> year to get that transcendent talent to to join Aaliyah. Ryan, I have to ask one of these since we have you, and I can squeeze in a local tie because the White Sox are about to have a three-game set with New York here tonight. What does it do for the highly competitive AL East and the Yankees if Aaron Judge has to miss time with his toe? I mean, it's hard because, because uh, you know, first of all, as we saw, like the Yankees' offense was performing like a bottom five offense in the majors while Judge was out. And it was only a 10-day IL spin. Some of that offensive struggle happened uh, before he got hurt, but it, it really cratered while he was hurt. He comes back and instantly, and again, not just because of him, because Bader had come back as well, right. and, and there were a couple other factors, but Judge coming back was the biggest factor, and instantly they become a top-three offense in the majors. He is as big a difference maker to a major league offense as we have seen since Barry Bonds. So when he's out, it really is impactful. And in a year where the division, as you're alluding to, is so good and every misstep is going to be capitalized on by the competition up and down the division, I think him missing time does matter more than other years. Now, ultimately, if you're just thinking, hey, I just want to get in the wild card, get in the dance, make the playoffs, like, okay, I I don't think him getting another 10-day IL spin is going to – hurt that but you know with the lead the Rays got out to and the fact that they're still six and a half up on the Yankees despite how well the Yankees have played over the last five weeks like yeah if you miss Aaron Judge for 10 days and you go four and six or three and seven in those 10 days and now you're 10 games back again from the Rays that that hurts Ryan I know you're super busy we appreciate taking some time great insight as always and best of luck each of your next couple of calls oh we appreciate you having me always and uh Enjoy the summer, both of you. We'll talk to you sometime soon. You the man, Ryan. That's the great Ryan Rucco. Uh, fever at Sky tonight, by the way, if you're wondering about the fever. A four-point loss to the Aces on Sunday after a three-point loss in Connecticut last Tuesday. So, again, I mean, you're talking about the two two of the three biggest you know, teams, especially in this kind of buildup. I mean, it's been a weird WNBA season. I wanted to get that question into Ryan just because of how passionate he is and how strong he is and an advocate for the women's game is that – you know, we want to see the Pacer, Pacers. We want to see the Fever, you know, rise back to being a championship contender. And we kind of take for granted the fact that in that initial, you know, lead up of all of those great teams and eventually winning a WNBA title, you had a foundational top five WNBA player of all time yeah. from the, pretty much from the jump of the league. And now, if Aaliyah Boston becomes that, that's great. I was sitting there the whole time while he was answering, trying to think of catchy like. You know, you know, tank for Clark, uh, but, um, you know, yeah, phrases, sure. you know, the suck for luck, yes. you know, what do clank we have for Clark, clank for clank for Clark? It's not bad, clank for Clark. It's not a bad one either. I mean, could you imagine like an inside presence with her ability to shoot it at the professional game? She's playing in the uh, John Deere Classic Pro Am, by the way. Really, yeah, she's a uh, loves golf, so um, maybe get to interact with also a big chief Caitlin fan, Clark. Oh, so there you go. So that's why your there you go. Your eyes were sparkling <laughs> over there. But yeah, but it's, it's 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 a hard. weird place right now in the WNBA because we sit here and we bemoan these super teams in the NBA, and we saw that the market eventually found a way to kind of collude against them. Not collude's not the right. It's too strong of a word. But the market eventually 
absorbed their novelty and the, the fact that there is enough depth and enough teams and enough talent around that there were ways for teams to find success to where the super team is not the end-all, be-all, must-make model. But I think five, six, seven, eight years ago, it was much more doom and gloom in, say, a market like Indianapolis when you're like, oh, man, are we ever going to be able to truly compete when these guys are just going to buddy-buddy up and go to these places? Well, now you're seeing kind of the ramifications of guys with bloated contracts all trying to find a way to play together, and then your second unit can't even come close to hanging with Miami's or Denver's or whoever it might be that can kind of roster assemble their way. And I, I do worry a little bit about the WNBA because we had two super teams effectively form themselves this offseason. And you have good players, and like Ryan was saying, not superstar transcendent players that will always find their way immediately to the floor, but you've got a lot of these teams that are like, well, I I mean, if I can draft a young lady at 23, I'm giving up my 25-year-old kind of quickly where it might be it's been a it they're definitely in a trans uh, trans transition i think as a league and an association right now and it'll be interesting to see how they come out i think expansion would actually truly help the product but that's a economic discussion that i'm not qualified to have yeah i mean that's you're looking at a number of different ramifications of the idea of them finally getting a stronghold right now with 12 teams just in terms of it being more talked about and highlighted aggressively over the last five years as it should be there's a again I'm not equipped for it either but there is a pros and cons of expansion from a player standpoint versus an expansion of the overall health of the league standpoint with where right. it's at right now yeah I, I don't know what the yeah. balance sheets look like for all 12 teams and potential media you know exposure or rights or anything like that but it was alarming to me when I saw those stats, and I don't have them in front of me, but how many top, top draft picks in the WNBA over the last couple of years are even in the league anymore. I mean, it's it's pretty stunning. You just wouldn't see that in most other places because you're going to give that talent a chance to develop. But it's the, the league itself is pretty rich with talent, and right now there are a couple of teams that are rich with the uber-talented players in the league. That feels like there's a little bit of balance coming, and who knows? Maybe the Fever will be part of that balance if they have one more year of of a high draft pick because it feels like right now between Kelsey Mitchell and Aaliyah Boston and a few others that they've got the makings of a team that could make the rise up to the top of the board. All right. That was good. That was cleansing for our soul. We were able to talk a little basketball. We were able to talk about hope. We were able to talk about sport. You think the Saudis are coming for the WNBA? Maybe. Maybe this is just the beginning. We're going to get right back into the news of the day, the business news of the day. Yes, roll your eyes if you must, but it is a massive sports story, especially in my universe of golf and everybody coming together and singing in harmony now as one. We'll talk to another colleague of mine, formerly of Golf Channel, and a big voice in the sport, Gary Williams, coming up here on the Fan Midday Show on 93.5107.5. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. (laughs) 
It is the Fan Midday Show. Jimmy Cook there, Will Haskett here, Eddie Garrison, making sure that we are beamed to you wherever you might be listening. We thank him for that. And thank him for allowing me 90 minutes in the show to continue talking about golf because it is the story in the sports world and it will resonate, I think, not just beyond golf but into different corners of the sports universe over the next couple of years because it's a massive sort of concession to the investment of money in the world of sport and it's probably the largest investment certainly that we're going to see from the the PIF fund into a sport that is largely American compared to a lot of things that have taken place already from a worldview. So to talk more about that, another one of my friends and colleagues from SiriusXM PGA Tour Radio, he also is part of a great new brand and multimedia group called five clubs that you can follow at five clubs golf it's the number five at five clubs golf as well he is the great gary williams hi gary well holy my friend uh you know what i'm it's the day is a lot more interesting than it was about four and a half five hours ago um i i know that we've kind of exhausted a lot of the things that we could even talk about so i'm going to broad sort of open the floor with this question to you as you've been able to sort of reflect on the last few hours without really a lot of tangible information of how logistically a lot of things are going to move forward what's your number one fascination so far with the massive sports news of the day i think that the the most interesting thing for me looking forward like you said without knowing anything concrete is I'm not, I'm not really that, that interested in the reentry. We know that's going to happen. Um, I, I want to know what this looks like. I want to know what it looks like in 24 months. I want to know what the, what, the, what the schedule looks like, how many alternate events there's going to be. I think what we're going to do is seeing a, a level of, of satisfying the elite player. Um, with, you, know, we, we, you and I have had this discussion, as has everybody else covering the game, about no-cut events. And, and we're going to cultivate kind of a, a, quote, live arm of the PGA Tour globally. That's what I'm most interested in seeing. Look, I'm, I'm happy to talk about the morality of all this, the hypocrisy, the duplicity. I, that's fine. But, but in terms of what's interesting to me now, um, what does the schedule look like the latter part of 24 into 2025? Um, purses are going to be astronomical. They already are. They're going to be even more so. Uh, I want to know who's playing where and when. Gary, are there any true winners in all of this? Obviously, the golf fans, I think, win out here at the end of the day, but are there any true winners on either side? Um, Yeah, that's a good question. I I, I do think in the long game, um, I don't see Liv as a winner. If people want to say semantically that Liv wins here, I, I don't see that. I see Saudi as a winner, they wanted a seat at the table. They saw the value of golf globally as they look at a post-petroleum-dependent uh, economy, uh, 2030 and beyond. I see, I see Saudi Arabia uh, as an absolute winner here. They, they are now into the, the mainstream ecosystem of golf, which means a lot of things. Um, so I think it, it proves that sports washing can be effective when you have billions and billions and billions of dollars uh, to wash with. Um, I think they're an absolute winner. I, I think, I, I, well, I don't know yet whether Greg Norman won. I know he got a bag. Um, I don't know if he got an NDA along with it. Um, that will be interesting for us to, to be able to hash out here in the days and, and weeks to come. If he says nothing, then the NDA was probably inside the bag. 
Um, and, and then, you know, I don't know that I would declare Phil Mickelson a winner in, in terms of, well, poor form can cost you a lot of things. I think he's lost some things. Um, but in, in the grand scheme of, of what he thought was, was either eventually going to be or what he might have already known with respect to potential discovery vulnerability on the part of the PGA Tour, I, I think it's, it's not unfair to claim, to claim him uh, a winner as well. But, but the biggest thing, and again, if you have problems with the morality of all this and where the money's coming from, I'm not here to tell you you're wrong. What I will tell you that as, as a fan of golf and people who cover it, I want the best players to, to congregate as much as possible. That's going to happen more. Um, and so the fan of golf, if you get past that or maybe you're never bothered by it, you win big. We're speaking with Gary Williams, Five Clubs Golf and Sirius XM PGA Tour Radio. And, and Gary, I'm with you. You and I have exhausted the conversation about morality. It, it takes you down a different path that maybe takes away from the business and the true sport sort of conversation about it. And I'm not saying that I'm ignoring it or that you and I are ignoring it. But today is certainly a situation where we recognize that capitalism is king and money truly matters, especially in this 2023 world of sport that we live. This may be too big of a question. But is today a sign of what is even maybe more possible in sport when it comes to this in in you know injection of just crazy crazy money? Yes, positively. Um, I I've got a very good friend who I've used as as you know kind of a sounding board as I've tried to understand this because it's been so fluid. Um, and it's also very new for us who cover cover the game of golf. And this is somebody who is one of the leaders of an. I'm not going to disclose his name, but he's a, he's a leader of another sports entity that has been in business with Saudi uh, for some years now. And he's been not really clairvoyant. He just knows. He knows the way they operate, and he has seen the way that they have not even really methodically, but strategically, you know, entered the different ecosystems of various sports enterprises globally. And you made a very important point at the beginning by saying, with respect to America, this is a big pivot today. You may not care about golf, and that's fine. I'm not asking you to. But you will look back on this day as a tipping point of, of the entry and the infusion of an insane amount of cash into the American sports uh, you know, enterprise ecosystem. Today is a massive day for global sports as we go forward. In the statement, they referenced a fair and objective process for any players who want to reapply for membership with the PGA Tour, the DP World Tour, following the end of the 2023 season. Is that just going to be a monetary fine and welcome back, open arms type thing? Or is there any real backlash or hoops that those that jumped ship to live would have to go through? My, my my intuition tells me that there will be no fines um, and that there will be very few hoops uh, to jump through. I, I don't see how you can have a kind of this, this collective cleansing and then all of a sudden kind of in a roundabout way kick somebody in the teeth on the way back in the door. I, I, I don't see how that's, that's going to be. Um, I, I think that these guys, could it be a little bit more cumbersome for players who have a little bit less um, you know, status, so to speak. And I'm not talking about the empirical, statistical, uh, data-driven status. I'm talking about, like, Brooks Koepka is going to play whenever and wherever he wants. 
Uh, and I think that's going to be true of all of the bigger names who departed, and that will be true of re-entry to the DP World Tour, just as it is for the PGA Tour. Will you tell me how you feel? Yeah, I... <laughs> The hard thing is, Gary, and I don't want to name names because some of them might sue yeah. me if I do name names, sure. and that's a joke. Uh, that's a that's an inside right. joke for people within the business. Right. But some guys would some guys would love to punch a few of them as they walk back in the door, and okay. some of them they'll give them a big hug and say, "We're so glad that we get to share a locker room with you again, and we're so glad that you were able to take that you know incredible amount of money and do some good with it or change the trajectory of your life." And th- th- I I think that. I don't really know if that's going to matter as much because as much as I mean there are a lot of players today that are rightfully really pissed off and they have and they should be pissed off today for a number of reasons but I think when they get together collectively it's not necessarily a me versus him as much as it is these organizations you know not having a plan or not being transparent or not figuring out a way to make this all sort of work and then I'll transition Gary into my next question for you is there are a million questions that aren't going to get answered until far down the road the players are meeting in what two and a half hours from right now and then we may yeah. actually get a little bit more word from PJ Tour Commissioner Jay Monahan out of that meeting depending on what sort of trickles out of that today um, what is one thing that you expect to learn more about later this afternoon and secondarily what's one thing you wish you would learn but you probably won't out of this afternoon uh the, the latter the, the second part of that question who knew yeah. um and and I, i'm just going to tell you i think rory knew now when i say he knew i don't know for how long he has a vote but, i mean yeah, but, yes but beyond that he has a relationship with somebody who was part of the, the brokering um, aspect of, of this deal and Jimmy Dunn that is beyond just, hey, he's kind of, we're friends. No, particularly close. Yes. Um, and I, I have a feeling he knew. So the latter part is who knew and for how long. Um, and, and then w- with respect to, you know, the, the first part of it, um, I, I do want to know, I, I'd, I'd like to know in terms of, you know, the, these players who were not, who, who you know, stepped true to legacy, history, and, and we're going to carry the flag of the PGA Tour, how and if in any way have they been fortified? And I'm talking about, you know, the front men like Rory, Tiger. I mean, are you telling me that this thing was done and Tiger Woods is not being greased to some degree? I, I mean, he's not? Come on. I mean, that, those are things I don't know if we're ever going to know the answers to either of them. The other thing that I think is, is interesting, and I, I think we both know the answer to this, and that is because the DP World Tour is also part of this, and the DP World Tour and, and all the players and how contentious and the manner in which that lawsuit went down, what this does, this immediate infusion of intellectual you know, welfare that they've got uh, if, when it comes to the captaincy this year of their team, I, I, I mean, it's not unreasonable for me to think that Luke Donald is now going to have five lieutenants who are now back in the mainstream and the bloodstream of the European Ryder Cup system. And I'm talking about Poulter, Westwood, McDowell. I mean, Sergio. this is yeah. this is Sergio. This I don't think it changes the team. I think you would agree with us. Maybe, maybe one guy, maybe. But, but, but with respect to the long term makeup of that group. This is it, back to it's back to you know the symbiotic. Hey, we're all we're in lockstep together again. So many facets and tentacles 
of this for us to, to, you know, continue to chew on and talk about for days and weeks and months to come. Is this a warning shot for the rest of American sports that if PIF gets its door some or gets its foot in the door somewhere that it can turn everything upside down, whether for better or worse? Yeah, I don't know if it's. I think the first part of it is absolutely true that that they are going to get their foot in the door. Is there? I mean, if you think about it, with the exception maybe of the National Football League, just because of the way we look at it, that being the most prestigious fraternity of owners. But the reality is, whether it is whether it is David Tepper, who is the Carolina Panthers, or, or whether it's you know the, the folks out in Denver who are heirs to the Walt. You know, Walton Fortune, um, collectively, the, the PIF and, and the, the, the control of that amount of wealth could buy all of those owners. Yeah, they could buy the so, entire so NFL. The National Football this is a cleansing. This is a cleansing for the National Basketball Association, for the NFL, because when they look for where's the next revenue source, where's our next, look, they cobbled together, and I say that tongue in cheek, roughly $6.5 billion for the Washington Commanders. Are you kidding me? Saudi has an opportunity to buy an NFL franchise for $10 billion? You can book it. It's going to happen within five years. This is the entry point, like I said earlier. I don't know necessarily that this becomes a great disruptor. It gets back to whether you're bothered by all of this or not. Um, and that's, that's everybody's personal personal choices to, to make. Uh, but this is... A, this is this is massive. If you don't think that, you know, Adam Silver and Roger Goodell, um, Gary Bettman, for that matter, um, all of them, all of them, Rob Manson, they're, they're all going, holy smokes. Yeah. We, we, have, we, have, we have entry, boys. We have entry. Yeah, that's a great jumping off point. Uh, Gary, appreciate you. Enjoy the car wash. Make sure the uh, phone is charged. I think you and I are all in the same boat for the rest of the day. Absolutely. Thanks, Gary. That's Gary Williams. Again, uh, check him out on Twitter and at Five Clubs Golf as well. And with me on SiriusXM PGA Tour Radio. I'm sure I'm doing like three shows later on tonight at some point in time. Um, you Todd, got time to come on a podcast. Todd Lewis, no, Golf okay. Channel reporter, just tweeted, spoke with several PGA Tour players who were part of a meeting in Delaware that ultimately reshaped tour schedule. Most of these players were offered lucrative live golf money but turn it down to be loyal to the tour this was not even a year ago i was in delaware for the bmw championship and there were rumored eight or nine other guys were going like they were going to live and it was going to be the back blow to the pga tour and that was when rory and tiger and a few guys got together and they created created this system with these designated events and these pathways to just getting a lot of big money and big sort of tournaments and allowed a lot of these guys to say okay it's not the same amount of money but it's a little bit more and you're right i feel better about playing on this tour and then he ends the tweet those players told me that today they feel betrayed and manipulated it's i mean it's going to be an absolute dynamite closed door meeting with the players and there isn't a i wonder how many guys are PJing it right now up to Canada to be a part of this meeting. Is there it's a worst case the, scenario? It's not the worst. Sorry, it's the, not the best field. So a lot of the big name guys are w- taking this week off because the U.S. Opens next week. Is there a worst case scenario out of these meetings, or is it just a lot of grumble, grumble, grumble? No, because okay, here's the thing. I, yeah, the worst case scenario, I guess, for the tour. Now that you're 
now that you are in bed with the money source, it's not as if these players can fully just say, I'm out because they still need a place to kind of play the rest of the year. Although I guess what you could have is you could have several of these players. They're like, no, this is so wrong. I'm just going to play live golf events only next year. And while that is then going to profit sort of share help the PGA tour, it will damage the rest of the PGA tour schedule. If those guys boycott PGA tour events, the idea here is that you're bringing some of the guys back and allowing them to play in these other fields so that things get better. But if the net of guys who want to come back versus those who are middle finger to the man, I'm getting out of here and I'm just going to play live only and try and, and maybe do exhibition tours or put together my own little thing on the side. Who knows? They'll be really hot heads today. At the end of the day, calmer heads will prevail. And But did a lot of these guys lose tens of millions of dollars or hundreds of millions of dollars by not jumping? Yeah. My only argument to them would be you were never going to go or – the, so why are you the money it? was dangled in front of you and you decided to stay. Yeah. The structure that you were staying in is still going to pay you the same amount, if not more money than you were going to get before. So you did the right thing. Thank you for doing the right thing. What you stayed behind to try and protect, we we just couldn't afford. Like we just weren't going to be able to do it. And this is our only path forward. But you can still play in these events that have legacy and have likely more competitiveness in them again if live stays in this 48 man closed sort of thing and there isn't like a very open door quick retention relegation sort of policy to players then i still don't think that the competitive product is the best but it feels like it's moving forward to being better um but yeah like i think today very much so there's a dozen players who i mean there are a couple of guys out there that were two 200 million 250 million and they said no no thanks i'm gonna stay here and that's and now all of a sudden it's like well wait a second you said these guys were terrible you said that we should never associate and now you associated without even telling us about it it's a rough look man it's a really rough look i have two more questions on that front but i feel like we should probably step aside for a second we can i do want to make this point Uh, gary and i why i stepped out of the interview when i did it's very important about and again, if tomorrow the Ursay family wanted to sell the Colts and the highest bidder was any sort of wealth fund from the Middle East or in this situation, the massive one from the public investment fund of Saudi Arabia, and that's the best offer by $2 billion over anybody else, I'm not it's their choice. Like They can choose to do it. I know that there's had to be a vote on it by the owners. Like Will the owners have enough strength in solidarity to start telling themselves to take less money in deals. You know, the Washington commanders, like I said, there was a bid for the commanders that was competitive and much of it was middle Eastern wealth that was in it. But again, you had enough other people that were assembling bids. that It's like, okay, well we can easily say, no, 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 you can't play here. But if all of a sudden they want to drive the market price above what the market value is, what owner is going to turn down 12 million when the next nearest bidder is seven or sorry, 12 billion when the next yeah. nearest owner is 7 billion. I don't know. And the reason why this little sport of golf is important into it is that now all of a sudden, whether it's the head of this, and again, I don't know his name. I need to memorize his name. Um, who's tight with the crown prince of Saudi Arabia and runs much of the fund and all of these sports sort of things, or anybody else is going to be coming over and representing this fund. Now, where are they? They're at high-level golf events. Who hangs out in the suites at high-level golf events? NFL owners and 
CEOs and C-suite members of high business, all of a sudden they're all sort of commingling because it is now legitimate. They are legitimized in this sporting space. They become friends, collaboration, collaborators, business associates. Boom. Oh, hey, you got a franchise for sale? I've always wanted to own an NBA franchise or an NFL franchise. And to anybody driving around, like, I don't know how they would make you feel. Like, could the Colts be a bigger Super Bowl contender tomorrow if they were owned by an entity that has 600 billion, no, no, 2 trillion in the bank or whatever the PIF has off the top of it? I mean, we don't have to worry about buying wide receivers and free agency now, would we? Oh, there's your Colts joke of the day. More to come here on the Midday Show after this. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Fan Midday Show, quickie segment here. Joel Erickson joining us. We'll get back into the Isaiah Rogers story coming up at the top of the hour. Jimmy, you had questions? Yeah, a couple more questions on Rapid the... Fire. Rapid Fire All version. Right. Who's winning week seven? <laughs> What's week seven of what? How, how do you feel about uh, Colts Pats in Germany? Um, <laughs> so you mentioned, at least from your phrasing, and maybe a lot of this is we still don't know yet, but with Live Golf. PGA Tour, DP Tour, all coming together. Quality DP Tour shout there. You're starting to pick up on the lingo. DP World Tour, but you're close. Yeah. The former right, European Tour. Yeah. I do my best power through yeah, that like time. I was talking about. By the way, $620 billion, the PIF um, corpus. $620 billion. I misspoke when I said $2 trillion. So this is not going to be what I envision in my head when I think of a merger where there's just events on the calendar that are PGA Tour slash Live Tour events there are going to be a PGA Tour event one weekend, a Live Tour event the next. And Live maybe, will still exist. And probably opposite at some point in time, too. So and this is, has kind of existed before, and this is why Greg Norman was so angry at the PGA Tours. He came up with this idea of a global golf tour 30 years ago, and the PGA Tour kind of shut it down at the last minute and then created the World Golf Championships, which is effectively kind of this world tour idea, and Norman held the grudge for a long time. Um, but those would be events that would be held with a limited field, a broader sort of group of high-end players, paid him a ton of money so everybody showed up. But then there would typically be another PGA Tour event somewhere that week. We lovingly call them opposite field events, but they would be additional events, however the, the uh, vernacular would go. I would expect you will have live events in 2024 that are played still at the same time, same week as a PGA Tour event. But that PGA Tour event will probably just lack the massive amount of star power. And that's the only question you get because we're up against it here at the end of hour number two. We'll get right back into your favorite topic, gambling within an NFL locker room next. Woo! From the drivehubler.com studio with Jimmy Cook, I'm Will Haskett. This is the Fan Midday Show. Rolling into hour number three, final guest is with us. He is Joel A. Erickson from the Indianapolis Star covering the Colts 
each and every day and doing a great job of it. And Joel, if you haven't been listening to the show, don't worry. But if there is anybody in the Indianapolis market that is as happy that there is this massive golf story going on right now of the collaboration of forces, is it Isaiah Rogers right now? Um, (laughs) He might not even know. That's true. He's probably turned off all. He's probably turned off all uh, means of social media and stuff. Uh, your first reaction when you heard the story sort of breaking yesterday? Um, well, so I've had this nagging feeling ever since the Lions um, story broke, where they had where they had four players who um, got varying lengths of suspensions. That I can't remember. I saw a tweet or somebody said, "Surely there's going to be more of these at some point, right?" And that's kind of been in the back of my mind, not really in a Colts way, not guessing that at all, but just that, that at some point it was going to come out. So that that was my initial first reaction was, oh, it's here that the next one happens. Joel, how much of this, and I know this will be something that we find in the coming days. I'm not absolving Blaine by any means, by the way, of Isaiah Rogers. We had a larger conversation about this where even with Calvin Ridley, I could kind of get by on the hypocrisy of it all because he wasn't directly betting on his games. In my mind, when you cross the line into betting on the team you play for, regardless of win or loss, regardless of prop bets, that's a whole unacceptable, cannot be had territory. That being said, how much of this is the NFL needing to really reassess how they hammer home to players. You absolutely cannot do this. That's a good way to put it. Um, Because I think, you know, gambling is just gambling on sports is just, it's a bigger part of everyday life now. I think just that there was so many places legalizing it. Um, And like, even if you're not uh, somebody who gambles a lot, like I, I don't really gamble on sports. Um, but I, you know, I have buddies who do, and I will text them before big games and just say, "Hey, what's your bets? What am I cheering for?" Um, if uh, if I, and I think it's just it feels like it's it's more um, prevalent than ever, given some of the the. Uh, now, obviously, I'm sure they've been saying this, but they they this is six players now: Calvin Ridley, the four Lions, and now Isaiah Rogers. And I think that it's it just seems like they got to do something to make it a little more clear. Is it clarity, Joel, or is it changing of the way that the rules are structured at this point in time? That would be my question. Did we lose, Joel? Yeah, we lost, Joel. No. I'm going to back here in a second. I didn't, how do you know that? You just could just the hear beep. It. Oh, the beep. Yeah. What's well, inside pro baseball yeah, stuff that's, right that's, there? Yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those little, little nuance aspects. Made. Yeah, exactly. I, heard it. I didn't hear it. framing. All right. <laughs> I was lining up a really good question there. I thought about it. Uh, we'll get Joel right back on the line here in just a second to, to ask that question. But now that we know exactly what it means. Oh, look, he's back already. Joel, right before we got disconnected there, is it is it more clarity on how the rule is made or is it a change to the actual rule? And again, this is not with, as Jimmy's had a really good job pointing out all day in the show, betting on your own team is a completely different sort of line. I don't think you're ever going to have sort of, I guess, uh, wiggle room in that. But do you feel like there's going to be a movement or a push within a players association or players or anything to sort of soften on some of this stuff? Um, it's tough. I don't think so because they can bet on a lot of other sports, you know. And I think just betting on the NFL in general, I think it, it's pretty obvious why they have to kind of take that seriously just because of the potential for, even if it's not your games, just the potential for 
um, you know, stuff that leagues just can't have uh, inside of them. So I, I don't know that it's going to change. The one, the one that's weird is I don't really understand the no betting inside your own facility on other sports. Um, don't completely get that. I'm sure there's probably a good explanation, but I, I think that if anything, if anything, I think it probably gets stricter now than than anything, just because the NFL can't like these headlines. Is the aggressive step? Because this is my mind, Joel, and maybe I'm wrong on this, and it's this is usually what happens. I have too simple of a thought on it to the point that I couldn't possibly work. But if you're a professional athlete, you're making life-changing money for, for the most part obviously not every position is equal but you're going to make life-changing money that nobody else is going to sniff because of your ability to play said sport is it a matter of like legally within the contracts that you cannot place bets on the sport that you play like is that the aggressive step forward and, and if not i mean i would have thought everybody would have taken the hint when calvin ridley got a year and it wasn't even games he was playing in. I would have thought at that point, okay, well, they're serious about this. We need to not do this, and that has not been the case, clearly. You know, I don't I don't know if that clause is already in contracts or not. I, I've never read When I've read through a contract, I've never looked for it before, or if it would fall under, you know, some sort of conduct clause. That's a good question. Um, do I have to – you probably need to have a look at, like, a lot of different contracts to have any kind of – feeling for what's what's standard and what's not um but again i think that you know i mean just how many people do you guys know that that are that are you know placing sports bets quite a bit all over all all the time i think that even even with calvin ridley happening i think that it's it's i don't know i guess i don't want to say i'm not surprised i just want to say i guess i guess maybe more that it's 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 not. It doesn't seem like it's that far fetched in today's day and age to to have more stories like this coming out. Yeah, Joel Erickson from the Indianapolis Star joins us. This is obviously going to have on field ramifications now for the Colts. Uh, I was even talking yesterday, just kind of jokingly about free agents that are still out there, and even made a, a quip about, "Oh, well, I don't think they have the cornerback depth that would." remove the possibility of going out and making a move what is this we know there hasn't been a move yet but let me let's be honest joel with where this thing is likely going what does this immediately do from a personnel situation for the colts well they were already fairly they were already pretty inexperienced at cornerback um obviously juju brents is they got juju brents and darius rush and jalen jones and they've got all these draft picks at cornerback um, but even even Rogers has played. I mean, he's been a starter at times, but he's played something like, I think, you know, four hundred ish snaps, four hundred plus snaps the last two seasons, uh, and so they they already were at a significant experience loss there. So I think that's the interesting thing is are, are they willing just to go with the the young guys? You could pro- you probably have to. You feel like you probably are going to add somebody, um, but you can do it at any time because. You know, if guys are available now, I don't think you have a ton of competition for them, um, at least at this point. So, it, I, I, I think you're probably going to see an addition. I don't know that it's necessarily going to be a starting caliber one, or maybe it's more like the Rashad Perryman signing, where it's more of a veteran who's played, um, but maybe is not. Um, you know, maybe it's more of a lottery ticket type thing. If you if you feel like you you like those draft picks or you did before and that's why you were headed this way in, in general because obviously I think you kind of think the team I mean if there's, if there's been an NFL investigation ongoing they probably had some idea that this was going on for a little while at least. How much clarity if any 
do you think Joel Erickson, Colts beat writer for the Indy Star, nice to take some time with us. How much clarity, if any, do you think there will be at the next media availability on the Colts side of things? Or do you expect this to be usual, you know, we're, we're focused on team matters right now. We're going to let this play out in the NFL investigation process and let their discipline be what's made. Or obviously they could cut him too, but how much clarity if it all happens in the next couple of days? I, I think that it's probably, you know, if, if they had something to say, this, it would already be out. Um, I think out of respect to both Isaiah and, and the NFL investigation, that's probably the case. There's also, um, without knowing for sure, my, my assumption or guess would be that there's, you know, NFLPA ramifications to um, what happens if you, you know, make move or say stuff before um, some kind of investigation be over. Um you know, so there, there's all that kind of stuff. I, I think we're probably in a holding pattern until the NFL gets through. I, I know uh, Rogers Isaiah put out that statement, um, but that's not necessarily. There's not a lot of details in that to know like what the NFL is looking for. Joel, if it weren't for this story, what do you wish we were talking about for the Colts <laughs> on a Tuesday? Um. <laughs> Well, I think that the you know the, the obvious story uh, as they continue, we continue to go forward here is, is Anthony Richardson and his development, you know, um, that kind of thing. Uh, you know, I was on with I was on the morning show yesterday, and we were talking about things like, you know, if if you're Chris Ballard and you and you only you could only watch one position group, which one would you be watching this summer? And I said offensive line. I think that stuff is probably more the normal summer fair, um, but. The other thing about this, I, I don't know. It's 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 kind of it's especially after the statement seems kind of open and shut. So I think I think we're kind of looking at you know it's just where the team is at. They've got another week here. We get a chance to see them three days in a row, which I've always said is for me that's the biggest thing about training camp is when we see these guys practice in one off settings. It's it's not stuff you can necessarily take a lot away from because it's it's small sample size. Three days isn't really a big sample size either, but it's bigger than we've had. So I think that's that's the kind of stuff we'd be talking about. And then they're going into the break. Um, and and uh, unfortunately, it's the the conversation is a little different. Does it change anything from a schematic defensive angle, given the fact that I know you had tweeted this as others did on the beat last week, that Julian Blackman is going to be shifting to strong safety this season. That was the plan. Do you envision that impacts that at all in terms of, you know, obviously he's playing nickel corner at times last year, but does that impact anything with him from that position swap with how thin from a veteran standpoint they're going to be at corner? I wouldn't think so. Um, it's a, it's a pretty big. It seems like it's a big difference in this defense. Maybe bigger than it was at Eberflus's defense in terms of nickel versus outside, um, slot versus outside. The way they kind of look at that, and I think that you know going from free safety to to strong safety to, to you know outside corner is probably a. I, I think you're more looking at you know Flowers, Brents, uh, Rush. Is there another signing? Uh, to go along with that on the outside, because this team has, has generally shown a preference, especially last season, um, with with the way Brandon Faison kept getting reps to to stick with some of those longer guys on the outside as long as possible. 
Joel, we were talking about this yesterday on the other side of the ball in this wide receiver room that grew with the news yesterday that Brashad Perriman had been signed to this. It's not a sexy sign. Who really knows where he fits into this room? But I was more asking the question because of Reggie Wayne's overall versatility and greatness and it being a wide receiver room where I wouldn't say that you have a number of wide receivers who stand out because they have one superstar skill as a wide receiver, and yet none of them, I would say, are deficient. It's it's very similar to a bunch of bodies that could kind of mirror the career of what we saw, the full body of work for Reggie Wayne. And a lot of times I feel like that gets us into a habit of saying, well, they don't have like that guy that just is a speedster on the outside that goes and gets it, or whatever it might sort of be. What, what do you think about this room that they're trying to grow as Reggie Wayne continues to grow as a coach, given and how he performed as a player. Well, I know, so I know that Shane Steichen prefers to have guys who do different things. He feels like if you have a lot of guys who do one thing, um, it, it kind of makes it harder on you and your game planning and how you're going to divvy things up. He said that at the owners' meetings. Um, and I think that if you look at some of these guys, like Pittman, obviously bigger, over the middle more, um, did some jump ball stuff with Carson Lentz, but that's, that's he's kind of been bigger over the middle, that kind of thing. His the volume type catches his his first couple of years here. Pierce uh, is is more of a downfield receiver. It was the hard part is we haven't seen it as much with him because the downfield element was so just not there in in last year's Colts offense. But I think in this year's offense, uh, the way he shakes out and the way things look for him probably looks looks a lot different. Josh Downs is kind of a, a clear slot receiver, that separator over the middle. And, then, you know, I think if you look at those three as the guys who you're looking at as, okay, those are the high draft picks, those are the guys you expect them to be counting on, you know, then based on what Steichen said, to differentiate yourself and get yourself on the roster, it's going to be how can you be used? Like what, do they, what, what role do they think you can fill that they maybe don't have right now? Um, and, and Perryman's obviously uh, another – he's been – when he's been at his best, I think he's been kind of a downfield target for, for most teams. Um, I don't necessarily think that that puts him in the same realm as Pierce, um, but I, I think that's part of it. It's, it's just Steichen's going to want to see these guys be different in some way or the other. And so as as we get into training camp and what we're looking at, that's something that's going to be in the back of my mind is, okay, this this is what they think about the top three. Uh, in terms of you know the draft picks that kind of thing and how do guys fit around them Joel going back to the Rodgers thing for just a second when you're going through this process of getting all the details and again this is going to be I don't think an open and shut conversation this is going to be something that whether Rodgers likes it or not whether the Colts like it or not that they're going to be in the spotlight for until there's resolution do we have any idea how long they knew or how long they were aware that this was all forthcoming with Rodgers and that the Indiana Gaming Commission was aware of it and the NFL was obviously opening an investigation. Is this one of those things where they were also kind of caught by surprise like this, or is there a thought this has been known for weeks? I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I don't know when it came out um, or any of that stuff. Um, yeah, I, I don't have any idea. This is the first time, I think, that I remember there being like a hint before the investigation was over with one of these things that in my mind, I, you'd have to talk to a, a Falcons or, or a Lions reporter, but in my mind, those stories kind of happened like right as, at the same time as the NFL released them. 
So that, that's maybe a little bit different in that we have some idea that the NFL investigation is going on. But there's there's a part of it. There have been six, you know, there's been six cases now, but really just three different events. And I, I don't think we have enough of a, a back history to have really a, a good idea of how the NFL pursues these. Um, like I said previously, I think it's been more of just here comes a suspension, you know. And given that, is there any justifiable fear to the fact there could be other investigations that are taking place that we aren't aware of, whether it's in this locker room? I mean, I guess this locker room would be the one that we'd be the most concerned with. Yeah. I mean, no idea. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. It, it, um, it just sort of, be, I mean, we, we were talking about it. It's, and you mentioned it too. You had those tweets or you saw the thing earlier where you said when things initially broke, like this can't be the the first or the last of right. these situations to happen. And it does beg a really important question of how systemic this problem could sort of be, whether or not we think that problem is truly a problem or or just merely a number of guys who are just flippant to the rules that they are willingly violating. Well, I mean, you know, does it end up being kind of like the performance enhancing thing where, you know, there's a handful of suspensions for those every year that I don't think really get talked about. They just kind of happen. Um, you know, every once in a while, a player is good enough that, that it gets talked about. But um, there's there's a handful of those every offseason. You know, is, is it going to be like that? Is this going to be a one-time thing? I, I think it's too early to know uh, exactly where we're headed with this. But, you know, the, the four players on the Lions, I think that was sort of the, oh, this that, that was sort of the, okay, this might be more of a, continuing storyline than, than we thought it was when, when Calvin Ridley first got suspended. Well, whenever we get more information, we know where it'll come from. Joel A. Erickson, you can follow him at Joel A. Erickson on Twitter, and he will have the news as it comes to us. Thanks, Joel. Yep, yep. Thanks for having me on, guys. Our pleasure. Yeah, it's... I want to share one nugget from this from Pro Football Talk. Give me the nuggets. Going over the key language from the 2022 gambling policy. I've got it right here. I've got the policy pulled up. Look at us. Intertwined here on the Family Day Show. Uh, It's very broad in the language of what penalties could be. It's case-by-case basis. Disciplinary action may include without limitation. Severe penalties up to and including fine, termination of employment, and or banishment from the NFL for life. That, to me, is in the realm of, like we mentioned, if it is proven that it was on Colts games. I don't know if it goes as far as if it matters. If it's for the Colts or against the Colts. But to me, and again, I... Like I, I feel for the human element of this because, like you mentioned, it's not like he's throwing down an entire game check on these bets. It's twenty five to fifty dollar wagers. Like they mentioned, maybe one four figure bet. Like I, yeah. I understand the human element of all this, and this could end all NFL hopes for Isaiah Rodgers for the rest of his life, and the financial ramifications of that will be insane. But if it is for or even if it's against the Colts at some point a hammer has to be dropped at some point somebody is who has made the example again we thought it was Calvin Ridley for a year that didn't do it if it's anything in the realm of Colts losing games bets replaced for that outcome maybe banishment is the message that needs to be sent to the rest of the league I don't know I wonder if he bet on Minnesota to win Halftime in the locker room. I bet. Well, that's double violation. That would be a double violation. That would be a violation of that's wild section speculation, one by the way, just to be clear. and section seven 
of the eight different levels of gambling activities. Is you talk about joke. small wagers. If that's a fifty dollar wager at halftime, no, hey, that's the hey, four. That's hey, the four. That's a game figure. check hey, almost. Hey, <laughs> hey, listen, listen. Things are not going to be great at halftime. I had a really this bad game. meeting. I got a really bad feeling about Matt Ryan right now, and just not. Don't see any. Don't see a lot of shine in that Maybe eye that right now. Maybe that was the four-figure four bet. Ooh, buddy. Yeah, so all NFL personnel are prohibited from placing, soliciting, or facilitating any bet, whether directly or through a third party, on any NFL game, practice, or other event. For example, draft or combine. <laughs> That's like yesterday. We could bet on the combine. They can't, though. No NFL personnel can bet on the combine. So there actually isn't a whole lot in I mean, it doesn't delineate between betting on any NFL game and betting on your NFL game. And that's right. really the interesting part about it is that then that becomes it's a whole nother it animal. becomes a very well, it's a whole nother animal, but it becomes a very subjective punishment if it's beyond what is the scope of your betting on an NFL game. You can all NFL personnel other than players are prohibited from placing, soliciting, or facilitating bets on any other professional, college, international, or amateur sports competition, tournament, or event. So again, if you're Roger Goodell, you can't bet on any sport whatsoever. If you're Isaiah Rogers, you could have placed a bet on March Madness. You remember when we had, and maybe you didn't hear about this, we jokingly had the Jay Cook sports book where I was giving out bad lines that yes. were just awful. Well, I'm, I'm going to be the Jay Cook commissioner here this time. Okay. If it was... Are you welcoming Isaiah? As a customer, is that what you're no, doing? No, no, no. That's number six. No, no, no. It's not NFL personnel not- shall not enter, visit, or use a sports book at any time during the NFL. Oh, it's not the NFL playing season. Feel he's free fine. to invite him over to your he's, sports he's book no, tonight. It's not sports book hat. This is the commissioner hat. I'm taking over now as the commissioner. If it was on the Colts to win, if it was on the Colts individually for him, like prop bets for him to do something in a positive manner, two years. If it was on the Colts to lose. If it was prop Lifetime. bets for the Lifetime. for him to do bad, Lifetime ban. you're out. Yes. That's it. It's That's like I, I'm, I can't can't stomach it, can't do it. We can talk about how hypocritical it is that the NFL is in bed with. Like, I just don't get it. For for years, like even before like gambling was a thing in my on my radar, like before you know, like I, I knew what Bovada was or what like oh, there's offshore betting that takes place. Oh wow, that's Solid interesting. Bovada but, but, call but out before there. before any of that, it was. Oh yeah, you don't bet on sports if you play sports. Why would you do that? Like that seems very fixed could be in type of path you don't want to go down. Look at what happened to Pete Rose. Like why why would you do that? So like I'm I'm missing the part where it is skipped past to this new era of football, even if the gambling is larger than it's ever been, to where or new era of sports in general where I can do that. It's fine. And again, there is a line, but if it's betting on your team to fail, you're gone. Like that's it's because it. it's because the access and legalization of it was so overnight and so fast and so permeated from a um, marketing standpoint to all of us that it it's very easy to make an incorrect leap with our minds that it it's not a problem when it's within the sport because it was a CD backroom dealing only in Las Vegas loan shark sort of world that now is accessible in front of all of us from just a pure entertainment sort of standpoint. It plays the day still to come, by the way. It changed so fast. I'll tell you how my seven-year-old did yesterday. Play some bets. Um, That's why I was laughing when you are talking to Joel, by the way, about which is the betting conversation. I was like, oh yeah, Gwen... Gave she her prognosticator. She, actually make bets, she didn't place yeah. wagers, but she prognosticated. She did. She was a total prognosticator. <laughs> I, I, it's, 
it happens so quickly. I think of it too, it's like, again, why did it happen so quickly? Tax revenue. It's the number one reason. It has nothing to do with morality versus immorality. It had to do with tax revenue. The whole money theme. It's no different than the legalization of marijuana in many different ways. And we can have a spirited debate over its legality versus illegality, its addictive qualities, its medicinal properties. All these other things are fine and dandy. But the reason why, with some great lobbying, it has become more legal in a lot of places if we've found a way to monetize it without it being deemed as much of a threat as we once said that it was. The weird thing about that is, is I don't that particular subset of a new thing, a new formerly taboo thing that is far less taboo, is that you don't really feel the marketing push that you do with sports sports wagering is so cleaned and washed into this friendly in your living room beautiful looking man or woman telling you what to do celebrity superstar up there on your tv saying come on over to wherever it might be to place a bet i don't see a whole lot of vape pen celebrity ads for my thc content fix you know and maybe it's well, maybe it's because it's a state i don't know if it, what it's like in michigan or other places it's, it's kind of that to me is really interesting because i think that there is there's has to be a psychological impact on how we have become so readily accepted of something. And again, I'm saying this as if I think that there are fans out there who feel like Isaiah Rodgers has been wronged. And I'm not saying that. He knew the rule. He violated the rule. Rules are rules. They're in a place for a reason. But it's just, it is kind of amazing that we're at this point. And I'm saying, I'm not saying that he's a victim of this crazy sort of marketing thing, but it is amazing that we're talking about something that outside of how important it is for the sanctity of the sport to not have it, the rest of us are like, oh yeah, make sure you get four different apps on your phone so you can make sure you're checking, checking the lines from night to night and you can roll this but over and not, get your boost not, and bonus but we here. We know it's different though. We're, like, not, we're not playing. I, I have to sign agreements with sports that I'm covering that I'm I'm not going to wager on. The, and I think that's fair too. If you're a journalist or reporter or broadcaster that is tied to a specific sport, if you have the opportunity to have access to insider information, yeah, I would agree. Like it, it should probably be more comprehensive. It's not the main focus right now today is the players, but like depending on how out of control this thing gets, we're not too far away from because the Pandora's box is already open. Yeah. Broadcasters have to further sign like you are the and I'm not even, ability to bet. And I'm not even aware of like what, uh, this would be a great question for uh, a lawyer, um, a business attorney, or something like that. Of what even what's the line you have to cross from an insider trading standpoint? You know, like what becomes a piece of information that isn't available or known that then you can sort of use? You know, that is beyond intuition. That is beyond like I heard I overheard a conversation at a bar, or you know, it made sense that I read this in a trade piece somewhere, and then I'm going to go and you know shift all of my things to here and there, like. It, that to me feels a little bit sketchier or not sketchier, a little bit harder to define than simply placing a bet. But like you said, there are different sort of layers of bets here. If it's like my best friend is Patrick Peterson and I play for the Colts and I want to put a $5 prop on Patrick Peterson getting an interception this week because he's my boy. And it wouldn't it be really cool to be like, Hey man, saw you, you know, pick off Deshaun Watson this week. You know, that was so cool. I had a bet on you. Like, no one gets hurt by that, but it's the slippery slope of what's the next one? Is it influenced? Does it then lead to all of these things that are in the policy? Not just game fixing, but best effort. They have an entire 
clause in here about best effort, that they must always give their best effort, failing to give best effort in any game or inducing anyone not to give best effort for a gambling-related purpose is strictly prohibited. I mean, that's you would talk about a subjective discovery there, like guy may or may not have had a bet or did have a bet, and then we go back to the film and say, did he give his best effort and was in violation? I mean, it's it's crazy. The world gets turned upside down if it's not already. The world gets legitimately turned upside down if it comes out that Isaiah Rogers bet for the Colts to lose. They won four games last year. And granted, it wasn't all his fault. We know how bad that offense was. It had nothing to do with I, Isaiah Rogers potentially like betting one way or the other. He was giving his best effort to me. So, but, but, that, but that's like... You talk about how hard that's going to be to be able to decide or not. It becomes more of a team-wide thing at that point. Like, real conversations have to be had with, is Isaiah Rodgers having conversations with, hey, uh, yeah, but, <laughs> hey, Ngakwe, uh, hey, just run yeah, but, further that way past the quarterback. Don't we, get that sack today. But as we were all yelling at the TV, we wanted him to lose. So, hey, you know what? Maybe maybe you do it with something. Maybe do something that we didn't know. More on the Midday Show next. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. It's the Fan Midday Show. Jimmy Cook, Will Haskett. Just the two of us the rest of the way here on a Tuesday. Do you have any more questions, burning questions? Have you exhausted the golf story of my lifetime? Are my majors impacted at all? No. All right. They should not be. Although, if you believe in... No, I won't even go there. I won't go there. It's not not worth it. Too hard to explain away the inside joke of what I was about to say. Um... Did you watch the hockey last night? A little bit. I did watch that. Oh, here dominance. comes Eddie. I did watch that dominance. Spirit now, wait, broken a little bit. Let's get ahead of ourselves a little bit. Since we're you know talking about gambling, we might as well talk about our own gambling. You had the over last night, right, Eddie? I did. But didn't you parlay it? Oh, and 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 Kachuk scored late. That's right. So uh, he did both of that. I, well, I did not play that. I think Jimmy played Kachuk to score. I can't remember. No, no. It, it, what had happened? I played was Kachuk you were to score about a, with a um, plus one and a half parlay. Yep. Which mm. that didn't didn't go my way. No. No. Uh, there was a FanDuel boost last night for Kachuk to score in five plus total goals I don't know I just don't really lie I don't like relying on someone to score even if it is Matthew Kachuk to cash a parlay I don't know I stay away from but you like betting him straight up sometimes right what do you mean like you mentioned in a parlay but you would still bet like no oh really no I don't it's too unpredictable for me to guess who's going to score fair a tenth goal of the postseason for Matthew Kachuk, did you see the hit in the second period? Oh my gosh. How good was that? I mean, how (laughs) good was that? Look, sports are doing a great thing of protecting the athlete. You know, it's, we have these amazing gladiators that we put out in the Coliseum every week 
And I'm okay with all the things we're doing with targeting and finding ways to eliminate stuff. The kickoff rule is a little weird, but I disagree with it to an extent, but whatever. Every now and then, though, like a good, clean, solid hit, man, it gets the blood, just gets the blood pumping, doesn't it? I'm right there with you. Wow. If you haven't seen it, look it up. So it was a completely legal hit that then led to a, a fight, and then I think everybody's getting minors for... You know, getting in the fray and everything like that. And um, I can't remember. Who's the guy he laid out in that game? Jack uh, Eichel. Jack Eichel. And he came back. And it kind of was the motivational spur forward for his team just to kind of say, you know what? We're going to put our foot down here and we're not going to let this comeback happen. And then the last five minutes of the game was completely unwatchable because it was just like skirmish after skirmish, fight after fight. <laughs> yeah. the, my favorite thing about hockey is it's – you know they've litigated and officiated a lot of the fighting out of what was a barbaric sport until today and you'll see a good old-fashioned hockey fight in the regular season when the consequences aren't dire and guys don't care about five minute majors or 10 minutes getting sent off or whatever it might be but like when the guys just have the little skirmish out there and then you know two guys are fighting one guy's holding back and they don't even it almost looks like it's sort of choreographed right. but you realize that they're just like <laughs> completely mental cold-blooded like assassins on skates and then they go to the look of the coach and there has never in the history of any fight on the ice ever been a camera shot to the coach and the coach has either a look of shock or a look of anger on their face they're just out there staring like yep this is what happens like just a deadpan stare like "Uh uh-huh well, I hope this thing ends soon because I got to tell them who the next line's going to be. Uh huh. <laughs> yep. That's just just this just total. Yeah, you don't get anywhere else. That, there's no, nothing yeah. like there's no reaction to it. Not like a my guy was wronged or I hope my guy doesn't do something bad in this scrum. Just like, yep. That's just what day. We, that's what we do. That's what we do. <laughs> if I could say that's what we do in a Canadian accent, I would say that's what we do. Eh. That's what we do, eh? <laughs> it was the A for me. I, think I mean, that it's really just unbelievable. It was unbelievable. Like, I mean, I, I jumped out of my chair on that hit last night, and then immediately the entire unit for the um, for the Knights on the floor jumped at Kachuk to beat him up after a completely legal hit, which also credit to the TNT crew last night but they slowed that thing down a million times so they were they were totally down with showing the violence and then who whichever one of the two guys doing color last night said slow it down from that angle again and then showed how Eichel toe picked his left skate and so like in this split second moment of him like ducking to get away from it he actually loses an edge and that momentum actually forced his head forward which made the hit look I mean it was great it was like a phenomenal breakdown of like why hey if you're at home and you feel like this guy should get like booted forever from the game like no 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 no, no. we're gonna show you it to you in 16 different slow-mo replays so you can get an idea of it I thought it was brilliant I, I, again playoff hockey man on a game that had you knew Vegas was going to win and by the way I said it yesterday with no untrained eye and then I watched that game really closely last night and I still have no trained eye whatsoever when it comes to hockey Vegas is so much better than them like so much better than them they just are I mean they they are like like puck handling positioning like thing again I am an idiot whatever I'm saying right now is not actual like hockey breakdown but it just flowed better it just I don't know 
the Panther story is great. I just don't see it. I don't. I don't disagree with you that, particularly from the offensive end of things, and the goals speak for themselves. That just performance on the ice is night and day compared to what Vegas is able to do at will offensively. But again, this is somebody that untrained eye as well. But the entire story or the feel good aspect of this run for the Panthers, at least a large portion of it, has been near perfection. The net. Yeah, it just hasn't been there. It's like it's like the heat to an extent of needing to be over 48 percent or whatever the mark is in that range from three to be able to win games. You need absolute perfection in the net to make this a series. And Vegas is just another animal. So, again, I'm I'm in the casual hockey fan booth as well. Like, I, I love playoff hockey, but during the regular season, I'm just, you know, falling it by. I didn't grow up a, a diehard fan of one or the other. Like, I, I, I identify as a kid with the Panthers because of the first hockey game I ever went to, but, like, I'm not, like, our friend Brendan King is a massive Panthers fan. I'm not that deep into the weeds with this. All that said, I would like a good series. We have potential to maybe get that from the NBA Finals. I don't know if we're going to get that in the Stanley Cup Finals, unfortunately. Yeah, I don't think so either. I mean, again, like transition, you know, turnover in your in your offensive zone, and then all of a sudden, like two guys diagonally work. It, it was like the puck just moved so quickly in the opposite direction. I just thought the transition last night from the Knights was it was beautiful to watch. I thought it was it was it was good if you didn't want drama down the stretch outside of is anybody actually going to punch somebody, which is pretty much the only reason to watch the last 10 minutes of the third period. You just wanted more TNT slow-mo. That's all you want. I mean, no, again, like you don't see hits like that very often. And then it was, it was clean too. Right. Because these guys are so good. They're, they've got their head up. They know that they can't, you know, especially in this place, they're not going to do anything illegal, but it was a totally clean open ice hit. And you just don't see that very often because these guys are so fast and so quick and they're, they have such great awareness. And I thought it was going to change I didn't know how I thought it was going to change the game, but a lot of the stuff that I read today, it's like, well, when Eichel was able to, you know, pull himself off the locker room floor and get back out there and at least sort of show some things. Like it just reinvigorated the Knights to just kind of close that thing out. So anyway, yeah, puck drops in game three coming up on Thursday in Florida. Off night again tonight in the NBA. That series also shifts to Florida with tip tomorrow. From Miami. Michael uh, Malone said that there were 14 clips. He said this to the media today. And again, how much is coach speak? How much is honesty? I thought this was honesty. He said there were 14 clips that he showed his team over and over again in their film session that led to 40 Miami points. So again, wow. like he was very specific about it. And how much of it is uh, we need to be more disciplined as the coach speak and how much of it is reality. I mean, if you're willing to share that publicly, that yeah, 14 clips, you're able to find 40 Miami points from it where there wasn't enough effort given. Okay, now I'm willing to be like, hey, this isn't just coach speak. Maybe there is really something to that of, I don't want to go as far as, say, taking plays off because it's the finals, but there's at least substance there now. Nuggets should win. We'll see what happens. That's uh, tomorrow night, 8.30 tip from Miami. Uh, ESPN put another mock draft out today here, Jimmy. Um, knows A uh, little shocker here at one. Uh, San Antonio going to go with some guy from France. I haven't heard of him. Um <laughs> I kind of thought we were over this international thing, but there's a a tall guy from France. He's going to get number one. Uh, More to our conversation of yesterday about potential trades. Today was supposed to be, I promised it. I'm sorry if you're still listening. This was going to be the day of just stupid, crazy mock trades. And then the Saudi PIF decided that they wanted to buy all of professional golf and 
Isaiah Rogers decided he wanted to try and make 15 bucks on a parlay. And Unless he was betting on the Vikings game. We that's don't true. Know that. yeah. that's he could be a millionaire. He could be a millionaire. If his one four-figure <laughs> bet was the halftime locker room, then more power to him. What was the line? Was it plus 3,000? <sighs> Something like yeah, that. Yeah, it was like plus 3,000. Somewhere 000. around that, yeah. Dude. I was calling a game at GameBridge and watched like the melt, and we were talking about it at half, like wondering what the line would have been. And I remember joking as I walked back out to the second half of this game, I was like, you know what? It wouldn't be too bad if we just went ahead and put a dollar, two dollars, three dollars on it. And then my son was there courtside. I was doing this, uh, I was doing the game with Nick Gardner, and all of a sudden I get this, I'm like, my son keeps looking over, like, uh, uh, and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's really happening! It's really happening! And then ran back in there to see it. And I was like, man, that would have been a, been a heck of a little. I have to go back and look at my betting records. I put at least five dollars on it at some point, but it wasn't when it was plus three thousand. So you I knew mean, you could feel it coming. I mean, it's just there's it, one person in the room who did. Even if it's one of those, even if it's one of those that felt like there's no chance it's going to happen. There were times, particularly at that point in the season, when you knew what the Colts were to where if you didn't have, like, you're not a diehard Colts fan, but you cover the, you know, we don't really yeah, cover like, this the is team, possible. Yeah, this is going to happen, right? This is totally yeah. possible. Might as well take a flyer on it. So, yeah. So, if that was his four-figure bet, then he could have made, like, 300 grand on that bet. You talk about potentially earning your yeah. suspension. There it is right there. Uh, it's still not earning it. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta go bigger, buddy. Yeah. Gotta go bigger. Oh, I feel bad. Anyway, uh, NBA mock draft is up on ESPN.com. And we were going to spend the show today talking about potential massive trades because if the Pacers truly want to go land a guy like Brandon Miller, who I think is probably the best fit of that non-Wembenyama sort of two-player tier, their latest mock draft has Miller of the Hornets at two and the Trailblazers then getting Scoot Henderson. Again, Portland feels like the team more likely to want to trade back with a team that would be more desperate to move up. You feel like the Hornets need to get this draft pick right. They need somebody else in that market. They need somebody in that locker room that's going to do good things for them. Uh, so if that is really the case, and this is what we talked about yesterday, even if Portland's the team that's available for business ahead of you where you think you can go up and get that difference maker, but that guy ends up going at two, then it's not it's not worth it. It's not worth the squeeze. The juice is not worth the squeeze for the Pacers if you don't think your guy is going to be there at three, which is why kind of like stealing from our old NFL draft thing, you don't make that trade until number, number two's off the board. You've got the potential thing there, but that's according to ESPN.com. By the way, they have the Pacers at seventh getting Anthony Black, who played at Arkansas in his one year. Black is, they say in this one, they're going for the easy best available choice from this range for the Pacers. <laughs> I don't know, man. I mean, I mean, is like we talked about yesterday when we highlighted potential draft prospects. The size is there in terms of being six seven. Like, but we, he's we, a ball. He's I, like a one I, two. I, I, haven't, I haven't gotten there yet. I understand. I'm not saying that's what I want them to take. I'm just reading the scouting Remember yesterday report. Yesterday, we talking about you like you like how people interrupt hosts. Like, well, yeah, but that was, a, that was a that was a, was a continue. Your I know the please. bit just came back. Yeah. <laughs> if, he's got great hair, though. I mean, have I you mean, seen yes, Anthony Black's it, hair? Yes. I mean, it's phenomenal. This is just off of scouting reports and what we've seen from him. If the ability to be versatile on both ends of the floor, force turnovers, and utilize the physical tools he has can help defensively, that's really all I care about. I'm going to be wildly like crazy here because you worry about, well, you know, if he's very on-ball dominant and 
are you able to still get the things you want out of Tyrese Halliburton and the rest of this team? There are worse things in the world than the idea of it being Halliburton, Black, and Matherin out there in your starting five. Like, that's not something that I'd be mad about seeing grow and develop. But that is like the article mentions or the mock draft mentions. That is the best available avenue path in their simulation where the Pacers are going to have a tough choice of what do you do? Do you go best available there and then trade back up? Assuming you want to go still with a young youth movement around this core and get your answer for a three and D guy. How much of that weighs into your selection at seven? If you stay there, I guess a, a ball handler like that, when you have a dynamic playmaker who you want to have sure. the ball in the hand and you have a two guard who you want to be alongside that. I mean, it's yes. Does he have the length and size to do some things? Could you envision, you know, a down the stretch three guard lineup that is up tempo and the ball is just whipping around. Great. Not a good three point shooter, which I think is probably a bit of a demerit yeah. on Anthony black in this situation. Now I will say this in this, um, mock draft they have Jarese Walker going five to the Pistons and I think that's one of those obvious kind of fit two-way player really good defensive player growing offensive arsenal good three-point shooter for his size type of player that's probably already off the board um we'll learn a lot about workouts coming up in the next couple of weeks I mean obviously the Pacers are probably gonna work out a number of these players that are likely to go in front of them anyway but I think you can glean a little bit about where they're leaning in certain ways by who gets brought in and what the attention was. I thought it was telling that Cam Whitmore was the first one in from that big group of players. I think there's a lot of intrigue there with his with his upside, with his athletic traits, mm-hmm. with his qualities of that nature. And so, again, I know 95% of it is likely scheduling, but I did find that to be interesting. He's really the first top flight lottery caliber prospect that we've seen in here, and he fits a lot of the things we've talked about, whereas it's obvious what this team needs. It's just whether they draft for that need or they draft off of this idea of, well, what if we get a lottery ticket here? Nothing fascinates me more, even with NFL mock drafts, than NBA mock drafts, because once you get outside, if there's a year where there's a consensus like Victor like Scoot Henderson, I won't put Brandon Miller in there just yet because it, it could be so many different potential splits or avenue forks in the road between three through seven where Anthony Black's being thrown out in one hypothetical, but what if Cam Whitmore was to fall and then Orlando has a decision to make at that point between Black and Walker and where does that leave the Pacers? Like, th- There's so much until we get a clearer picture like you mentioned from the workouts of things that could change between now and draft night, even if Shams and Woj are breaking things five minutes ahead of time or five picks ahead. Hate that. Hate which it. Is a, a, Stop doing it. <laughs> it all depends on where you are, I think, from a generational standpoint of how we want you, you to be that. right on trade deadline day. We don't need you to be right on draft night. I like news. I like seeing them. But no. anyway, the, the the aspect of that is that for the Pacers, so much could change between now and then that. Where does the free fall happen? Because it will. These aren't going to be right on the nose because of how need versus want versus best available factors into all these franchises. You know what fascinates me? Bets? What fascinates me is Isaiah Rogers not having a job because of bets anymore. And we're going to make some bets next. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. 
If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Final time on this Tuesday. Thank you for indulging lots of conversation about the world of golf today. Never thought that I wouldn't have to force it down the audience's throat when it becomes the biggest story in sports. Although we've had some of the major networks up above us here and it's like they lead with it for two minutes then immediately talk about Jimmy Butler versus Jokic. So I guess it's not as big of a story. You don't want to talk about who should be on the Madden 24 cover? Or (laughs) it's Josh Allen. How serious is it? Aaron Rodgers calf strain. He was throwing he was throwing the football yesterday. He didn't see Oh, it. look at that. It's not broken after all. You know it was not broken. Team Haskett yesterday was leading in all four games in some way, shape, or form. Actually, no, not the playoff one. But uh seven year old I broke even yesterday and thus ends my betting contribution to the week. Go ahead, boys. The Jay Cook plays of the day. This is me. All right. I'm not a f- athlete. This is my f- way. This is how I win. I would also like to give a round of applause to Gwen Haskett because even though you did not give or even though you didn't accept formally my generous offer of taking the run line yesterday, you went money line. I'm going to give her the win over myself because I offered up the plus one and a half and the athletics covered yesterday uh-huh. in the uh, face off against yeah, the they did cover Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh, you think we'd learned our lesson, but we don't. This is going to be they're going to be a mainstay throughout the season. They're just going to keep rolling it, and we'll get a trajectory at the end of the year. Lay the one and a half on the Pirates tonight. Once again against the Oakland Athletics, also going to lay one and a half on the Dodgers as they're in town against the Cincinnati Reds. Close things out. Give me the Chicago White Sox on the money line against the New York Yankees in the Bronx. One and two yesterday, one and two on the week. Eddie Garrison, you playing anything tonight? I am. And what have I always advised you to do? If you like the starter on the mound, don't go the full nine because you can always get screwed by the bullpen, which is why, night, which is why you always go first five. If you have the, the odds were better if you went first five, though, fair or minus one oh four. So that's why you always examine the first five first. This way we're going we're back in Tony Gonsolin, one of the best five guys, one of the best starters through five innings. Once he gets past that fifth inning, it's a little bit hairy. That's why we're going with the Dodgers minus zero and a half first five innings. I like that. I said I'm, I'm not so backing saying, the Reds. Wait, wait, real quick. Not backing the Reds. Because by that, you are actively saying that me laying one and a half on the run line means you're confident in the rest of that game as it plays out that it's a one-run loss for the Reds. No. Well, there's a possibility. Or win outright. There's a possibility, yeah. They could come back late. Okay. They do that time and time again. So, yep. oh, shout out Ellie De La Cruz finally making it up to the major leagues. Beyond is he, is he good? that guy. Oh, yeah. Is he Matt Mervis good? Oh, way better. Oh, good. Well, way better. Yeah. Bodes well for you. Might is stay, he the Martian good? He might may might stay on the roster for an extra month. Uh, speaking of my lowly Cubs, oh, they're going to lose tonight. The Angels. <laughs> they're going to avoid Otani in his three game series. But quick turn after they hit one ball hard last night. One one total ball was hit with an exit velocity of whatever is considered hard. Is that good? Ninety miles an hour. <laughs> Wesnuski on the mound. He doesn't know what he is right now. Angels. Don't we all not know who we are? Yeah, in whatever way we can. 
Uh, I know what Isaiah Rogers is, and that is <laughs> most likely soon to be unemployed. I hope you enjoyed the show today. Wild, wild day in sports. Um, lots of just crazy, broader sort of issues, which I didn't have as much fun with as we have here. We understand there's also serious implications in all of it, and we appreciate you listening to us for three hours talk about it. For Jimmy and for Eddie, I am Will. Have a great rest of your Tuesday.